Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Let's Talk More Movies, the show where we try and talk about movies but never talk about anything and everything else. I am your host, Michael Breslin. To my left is. To my right is. Dominic Phelan. Hello. And he's back. Daniel Killam. No, I just, and someone sent a text message. <laughs> yeah, I received one as well as soon as I started. I should have had my phone off. Apologies. Sloppy, um, sloppy work, man. Just want to say mm. for the listener, because obviously we always have Heron Watch. Every every time that Heron's not on the podcast, <laughs> we, we, we often wonder where he is. Heron Watch. Heron has <laughs> went... <laughs> uh, Heron has went from... Yes. <laughs> He's went from directing porn films in Edinburgh, which he was doing for quite a while, hence why he missed the podcast. He is now, uh, how, how would you put this? He is loving and... Scaring children. Yes, he's scaring Shuffle children for money. Yeah, scaring children Essentially, he's working in a haunted house, getting paid by the night to scare the shit out of people. So what would you even call that? A professional scarer? A, like a, a substitute ghoul? A scaremonger? A scaremonger? Is that what that would be? I think he's trying to evade it as acting, but it's not really. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Dan were talking about this before, too. In the haunted house, there's like, I don't know, you would call it a spooky kitchen. And he's in the kitchen, right? <laughs> but he's supposed to be like a Lillerfuss with like this machete and shit like that. And he jumps out and scares kids. But at the same time, we've all seen Heron cook at about four o'clock in the morning. So <laughs> yeah, that's like, scared of like. That's like second nature to him, really. But uh, yes, that's why he's not here this week. Also another thing, a strange encounter with a taxi man the way over here. Now Mickey always says this, anytime I'm in a taxi, I always have strange encounters, strange conversations. This one isn't quite that strange. It's just odd how you put this. He brought up Germany for no reason. It was because the Oktoberfest celebrations happening there. He was like, oh, okay. I've always wanted to go to Oktoberfest in Munich. And I was like, oh, right, I love Germany myself. I've been a couple of times. Have you ever been to Germany? And he said, not as such. And what does that mean? <laughs> yes. I mean? Not as such. It's a rare yes or no. So I says, oh, how do you mean not as such? He went, oh, well, no, then. <laughs> 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 He's just read Mein Kampf. It's his favourite. <laughs> he's, he's, he's seen f- Germany on TV. <laughs> he's flew over it once. <laughs> Dom, again though, I've just realised, why do you have a knife again? This is, well, this is my podcast knife. <laughs> why is it? Just in case I have to shank someone if you get too close to the mic. <laughs> somebody says something, they really doesn't agree with yeah. about films. We're straight on there. Also, you kept us on tenterhooks earlier on. You got three new horses on the farm today. I got three new horses on the farm today. Oh, yes. What did you name them? Right, we got a, a lovely, beautiful, purebred Connemara Irish pony. Mm. Now, this this horse didn't actually have a name. When the, the woman, horse was no name. No, it was the horse was there. When the woman came over, she was like some old Anglo-Irish. Woman. She said, "Oh well, it's the last of the Dunmore line." So we just breed her. So I was just calling it the last of the Dunmore line. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we've ended up just calling it Connie. 
Connie <laughs> the Connemara. And then we got two humongous, humongous cobs called big black fucking <laughs> gigantic beasts <laughs> huge beasts of burden they're kind of fucking they're like a war horse you know you could put chain mail across them and they'd fucking just run <laughs> right them on the battle yeah. war horse um, one one of, one of them was called mcginley right okay and, fair the, enough. and the other one's called hugo the great <laughs> <laughs> oh, please Please write Hugo the Great on the town some Friday night. That would be incredible. You tap a Hugo the Great, bag of cans Bear in your back. hand with a sword. Or Bear actually, not just your podcast. Like, Bareback that'll do. Podcast life and a bag of cans. <laughs> Bareback and Hugo on the town. So, so good. But it's just a piece of orange twine for a fucking oh, rain and steel. <laughs> That's so good. Took me by surprise. Snuck it in this week. Danger Ball this week is our fair, fair Dominic, our merry friend from the English Valley. It's in your drawer. Oh, is it? It's in my drawer. Yeah. Well, do you, well, I'll bring it out in Paris, Dean. You can introduce yeah, it. Know. Well, the Danger Ball this week is not hanging about. Barefoot bubbly pink Moscato California sparkling wine. Ooh, it's a bit fancy. Has it got a cork? Fancy. Has it got a cork on top? I don't know. Was this under a fiver? It was. Well, it was a fiver exactly. As it went out, it did. No, I don't know. Right, okay, well, I'll tell you what, I'll let you read the description. Here we are. It's essentially just another bottle of Lambrini, right? <laughs> God, I can't even see it. Once again, the cork is pointed right at my direction. Yeah, yeah you're really, like, weird about that. Yeah, yeah, same. You, Mickey. Um, hold on. Okay. Barefoot bubbly pink Moscato is surprise and delight at first sip. The pink Moscato sparkler... My, Try my not right to give day. me an epileptic fit with these <laughs> lights. Here. Um, where was I? The pink Moscato sparkler has aromas of red apples and cherries, complemented by a luscious, lingering sweet finish. Mm. Enjoy with fresh fruits, white cheeses, and sorbet. <laughs> We're never going to have those things. Specifically <laughs> white cheeses. <laughs> we, we can't have nice things. Like I'm double-checking what it might contain, because um, you af- remember that? After the milk and wine. The shy <laughs> pig. <laughs> well, I... I I later learned that a lot of when it comes to making wine, they put milk in there. It it kills a lot, kills off some of the thing. Like they help it to sterilize it or they pasteurize it, basically. pasteurize <laughs> it with milk. So that's why there's always traces of milk. I don't know. In wine. Last week's danger ball, the shy pig. I, I'm I'm still confused with that drink all the year. What really happened? What happened to the shy pig? Is it still knocking about? It's lying. It? It's still lying in my cupboard back at the house. Because oh, obviously, oh, yeah. you, you can't drink it. No, you can't <laughs> drink it. I know. It's after a two day purchase. We're we're done because it was lying there and I seen it. I just liked it because of the bottle and because of how cute the wee shy pig looked hiding behind a couple of barrels. But then I haven't touched it, so obviously I'll just empty it and then maybe use the bottle for like a candle holder or something again. It really <laughs> helps there, you know. But uh, yeah, we brought it back to the party. Last week after the podcast, went back to my house. It was good fun, uh, but absolutely nobody touched it. Like yeah. nobody even went there, and you know they couldn't get, even trick people into drinking it, which was was kind of scary too. Because usually when you get there, like maybe three or four in the morning, and you've ran out of your own drink, and there's still you know a, a couple of lateral danger balls left that you just get stuck in there because you're so pushed. I still wasn't even tempted by the shape. Like, <laughs> I just left it sitting there. No chance I was having it. So I we've we've passed the mark on that. We have. Cracking that bottle open. Yeah, to crack her open, yeah. Oh, it's going to make me nervous. As an actual cap, or is it just a screw cap? No, it's, no, a, it's, it's a cork. It's oh, a cork, shit. Right. And I was power walking my way up the hill from here, so it could be... Uh, hey, well, oh. when, when Shan took it out the drawer as well, he basically shook, shook the whole fucking thing. Shook it. 
Is it a shit missile? Shook it like a newborn baby. <laughs> <laughs> Are you gonna crack us or what? Ah, uh, this is. Ah, uh, here we go. This is quite. Oh, fierce. this makes me nervous. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> nah, this this gonna Here we go. Go on there, lads. Wait. Oh, you bastard! It hit Mickey too. Oh, look, no fuzz either. Good stuff. Yeah. Right, take a sip. What's it like? The suspense. <laughs> it looks like it'd be nice. Do we have? It probably. Oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right up the nose. Straight up, be nice. Um, that's all right. Mickey, old enough. You think he would have a bit it's of like, A few know. white cheeses. It's like a sweet, ro- sweet rosé, basically. Mm, give us a go. A sweet rosé. Mm-hmm. I like rosé. I like everything. Why specifically white cheese? Not like That's alright. They come with each other, man, on the palate. It's very fucking so they So they say. Do you I, Michael? I don't like raw cheese. And it's yeah. like. It's Best enjoy the white cheese, more frequently enjoyed with a dirty, dirty takeaway. <laughs> when you're fucked. <laughs> you know what I mean? No one's having that for a dinner party. Like, like if there's some upmarket affair, definitely not. Mikey drinking that ball there, which is that fucking 15 pack of Tesco Valley cheese slices. That's all Sky <laughs> <laughs> That's fucking sweet. It's I nice. Like it's like it really, sweet, really yeah. light, my wadi. Like it's, strawberry, my worry. Eight percent. And remember, it's sparkling wine, so it's going to get to your head. No way. It will give me a kick, and as well, next so up send it over this way, please. Mickey. No, I'm I'm good with her. <laughs> <laughs> Mikey, you really want off the rails? <laughs> You're a completely different man from two weeks ago. Yeah, he's no longer <laughs> just wrestling bears. <laughs> no, he's he's, t- he's taming them, <laughs> domesticating he's, them. He's not wrestling Making demons anymore. <laughs> yeah. He's not wrestling demons anymore. Just getting them in a headlock. I'm mixing up a bug fest, aka commotion lotion, so I could maybe sign out halfway through this podcast if needs be. Yeah, you're, like, you're basically combining danger bottles, because that has been a danger bottle before. Been, yeah. <laughs> I love it so. <laughs> what have we watched this week? Who wants to go first? Dominic. All right, well, I had a busy week, so I didn't have much time to watch a lot of things. Not this excuse again. Hey, he's been going on a lot of dates with, uh, with Dave. Well, I'm right. The and, and Dan on Tuesday. The cinema yeah. Club. You've been getting new horses. New horses. Getting new horses. Maybe yeah. date them. New. <laughs> lo- love a lovely little white filly and two huge black cobs. Still talking about horses, aren't we? Yeah, still talking about <laughs> horses. Um, I, I saw a film today <laughs> called "Let's Just Be Cops" or "Let's Be Cops." Oh, let's, let's be, be cops. cops. Let's, let's be cops. just be cops. <laughs> <laughs> Dom always let's just be cops. <laughs> 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 I'm sorry, but can we just make up? <laughs> this is ridiculous. <laughs> We've been trained inspectors. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just make up. No, it's like the anti-body mood. It's like we're not friends. Let's just be cops. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not dumb. It's this really like social realist stuff that he wasn't expecting. Uh, what I love about Dom too is like anytime he goes to announce a film title, he always makes it beautifully British. <laughs> oh, let's just be cops. <laughs> oh, I can't help where I was born. Yeah, well, anyway, um, <laughs> so let's be cops. It was yeah ridiculous. Well, no, it wasn't ridiculous. It was all right. Wait, what are you doing? It's all right. I got I got about four laughs. Four like outside laughs rather than just a oh, yeah, that's funny. I acknowledge that that particular scene was funny you got a guttural response to me mm-hmm. it's got it's got the boy the two boys from, from uh, New Girl Damon Wyans Jr and I don't know Jake 
Is it Jake Johnson? I don't know. I don't Curtis. like his fist. I don't like his fist. There is another. There is another boy in in American films that looks exactly like him as well. There's in Os- Super Os- Bad. Oh, I not, was gonna say Oscar Isaac and Jake Johnson. I feel no, like no. Like there is yeah, there is somebody else that looks exactly like him, but he's just got a bit more of a hook nose. Yep. He's in Super Bad. He's one of the boys doing coke in that older party. That uh, shit. Yeah, I watched Super Bad as well this week. I completely oh, so forgot good. about I it. I watched it in years, but it's such a fucking good. yeah. Super good. Super good. <laughs> super good. <laughs> super bad. Super good. It's the ultimate sort of. That's an hour hangover film. Yeah. It's so fucking good. Like because. It's one of those ones you're so familiar with, right? You've seen it so many times that you can just pull it on at any point. And uh, it literally just acts as background noise. Yeah, yeah. You, you don't have to focus on the plot. You might get the old laugh, too. Uh, one of my favourite lines ever is from Superbad, and that's a throwaway line that just shows how many good lines are not, is when uh, Seth Rogen and Bull Hader, who are playing the two cops, are chasing after Michael Sarah, and they have to stop. Seth Rogen's been only running for about 30 seconds. He's like, oh my God, he's the fastest kid alive. You can see him just sweating like fucking non-normal. But and when he first takes off his eyes, I'll shoot, should I shoot him? Should I shoot him? <laughs> <laughs> what else did you like or not like about Let's Be Cops? Delve into it to give me a critical analysis. Well, it's it's, it's a, a standard storyline. You know, it's supposed to be humorous, but it's not really. There, there, is, there isn't, there isn't <laughs> any... The stain on your face. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, it's almost like it's the first comedy he's ever encountered that wasn't funny. And he just but doesn't he, understand well, this concept. I, I, How can that I was, be I was a bit ups- funny? I was a bit upset that it was 6.5 on IMDb, oh, but, but it was only 18% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, the, so you could just equal it out. as to It deserved to be, like I don't know, 4.5. I was reading the thing about this recently, that it, there's uh, sometimes a lot of disparity between IMDb score and Rotten Tomatoes score. And uh, I think they use Let's Be Cops as well, like the sort of case studies. And the reason being is they think a lot of people just attacked themselves on it and said they liked it because they were new girl fanboys or fangirls. They just uh, liked it so much because it was two of the actors from which, straight, which, is, which is very popular in the States. Yeah, but another thing as well about uh, Rotten Tomatoes, I find, is that, you know, if you look at even something like The Martian, mm. I went to see it and uh, I thought it was, you know, it was a good enough film. And, you know, it was all right. You know, I wouldn't be rushing back to watch it again at any stage but because you know there's nothing really bad with it and you know critics won't really pan it in Rotten Tomatoes it got something like 95% which makes you think it's going to be amazing and really really good but that's the problem with Rotten Tomatoes is that if it's just a passable film that you know doesn't really do a lot but doesn't do a lot wrong it will get a very very high rating you know yeah. but it's not like you know a 10 out of 10 masterpiece I know, I know like exactly that. where I come from there is definitely th- there's too narrow a gap between that song that's a true masterpiece and maybe up in the 90s in Rotten Tomatoes where a song that just ticks all the boxes and is a very good Solid film, which which can still find itself in the nineties. Because as a Rotten, Rotten Tomatoes, it's it's either it's good or bad, basically, and then yeah, yeah, it's yeah. just collated with all the reviews. Yeah, it was actually weird as well because a lot of like really really good films, I think, are you know the ones that I would like anyway would be very very challenging, which means that some critics won't like them. Do you know what I mean? So usually, I mean, there's a lot of films I see that are like you know seventy eighty percent Rotten Tomatoes. I think are amazing, but obviously you know because there's whatever it tackles and the subject matter of it. That sort of, or tries to do things differently that obviously not everyone is going to like. They yeah. don't actually score as high. I think as well on a basic level, it was so that when I first started watching films, I put like I still put a lot of weight on it, but I put all all my sort of weight on it was like all about the critical response. Of it's not received well by the critics, and Jesus Christ, how can I enjoy it? What's the point in me even watching it and stuff like that? But then the more films I watched and the more I kind of learned about films, I thought to myself, aye, that, that's a good indicator, but there's so many films that I've watched that critics haven't liked, or maybe even you know uh, audiences, popular audiences haven't liked. But I love them, and I can find things and, and wee elements, be it the sound design or be it the cinematography or even the acting that I really appreciate, or even just something as simple as a storyline. 
and I think that's sort of oh sorry I just kicked my mic there uh, I think that's sort of the nice thing about any art as well even if it's not critically appreciated or if it's not popularly appreciated if you find something that you like even if you're kind of going against the norm then fucking why not because it's it's your own personal opinion and it's that sort of thing as well that usually stuff that you like in a way mm. is sort of a reflection of yourself or it's a reflection of your own personality and why you like it so you know it, it's obviously you know good if it's you know got 99 on Rotten Tomatoes or it's got like a 9 on IMDb or whatever but I just shouldn't be the be all and end all. I just get the kind of feeling that this film, people go to watch it because they're sort of subconsciously familiar with it. Yeah, uh, they know the two characters. They know it from New Girl, and that's hugely popular. Again, I watch New Girl, and I don't always laugh out loud, but for some reason, I find myself just watching it every week when it's on, just because I'm it's so used easily to watching. watchable. Yeah, like, even though I I hit the show to be honest, I've never actually watched it, but I can imagine it's one of those shows. <laughs> you, can, <laughs> you hit the show and then you never. But watch I know it. exactly what sort of format that is. You know, it's just one of those sort of Big Bang Theory canned laughter. Oh, it's better. Well, no, it's, it's not. not. It's better. Is New Girl better? It's, it's Should better I watch that. New Girl? New, no, New it's Gear, a comfy watch. New, New Gear is good. Like I'd say, the first series it was cracker. Like like I loved the first series yeah. and Nick Miller. Jake Johnson yeah. and it is was hilarious first year. I think it steadily just kind of went downhill as like a lot of shows can do. To, but no, it's a, it's a it's a good watch. It's good comedy. I wouldn't I wouldn't put it way like Big Bang Theory and stuff. Maybe like like just obviously the family. top comedy. Like, no, yeah. but Big Bang Theory is is a standard sitcom. Like you can find things like New Girl. It is a bit different. Really, it's you know what the thing as well about. Don't prejudge things, Shan. Yeah, you know, mean give it a chance. I know prejudice. Here's me talking about Craig Ross. I know, <laughs> but it's like. I think a reason I wouldn't watch New Girl as well is it is Zoe Deschanel. She just irritates the shit out of me. Do you not like her? Nah, she's so, I, I she's so knowingly hipster. She's so... Uh, I don't, I'm not going to go into personal yeah. opinions here about people, but it, it, she just puts me off it completely. You I think it was different actors. You, you were just talking about being a hipster? I was talking about her, Andy. Why do you think I'm a hipster? You are a fucking hipster. What? Because I said that the fucking fifth series of Breaking Bad wasn't good. Well, the first series of Big Bad is the worst. Thank you, Dan. Yeah, Thank you very much. Oh, oh yeah, you, you have Dan backing you up. Well, <laughs> me, me and Shank are together and hash out our opinions on these big general topics, <laughs> and then we come out in full force. I'm sorry, Michael, but the reason we have Dan on this podcast is because he's the greatest forward thinker on cinema and television on this earth. So please. I and I was and just discovered. making a joke because you were saying you like films that other people don't like. Fair enough, I. True enough, I. That's pretty much the definition of being a hipster. Like it is. <laughs> <laughs> Although I'm the one sitting drinking out of a jar. We have like beard and all too. Beards aren't hipster. Oh, okay, come on. Well, you trying to say, oh, okay, fair enough. Maybe you did have a beard before the hipster. I did. Which makes you an even bigger hipster. Tri- I had beards before no, they were hold, cool. Hold on. <laughs> a trimmed beard. Yeah, it, that's fucking roadkill from a few days <laughs> left <laughs> <on> his face. <laughs> so it was that's trim- one of those bear pelts. That so it's a trim- <laughs> trimmed beard, is hipster. Yeah. Like precision engineered yeah. trimming. Yeah. Don't you're not doing yourself any favours here. You Why? have a very fine trim beard. No, but that's that that that's, isn't that isn't precision engineered. Like you ever see no. the ones that we fine lines and all no, like yours? Design, like design, <laughs> fine lines. I don't even have a beard. I know. Designer stubble. I hate designer oh, trouble. I really what? Are they a fashion I... blog or something? What are we talking about? I don't know. We, we're both, <laughs> we've already talked about TV shows and fucking. That's good. I'm going to talk about ponchos next. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I have in a big way. <laughs> Hence why Dan's wearing one as we speak. I've had a poncho in my wardrobe for six years. Oh, I've just been it. waiting for it to come back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just been waiting for it to come back and <laughs> oh, I've got. I've, 
I've got a silk kimono at home, which is black with red dragons over it. I'm just waiting for that to come back. What an authority this man I know. Is. Please tell me you're joking. Is that, no, is that I'm not really joking. Thing? My sister-in-law bought me a silk kimono. You <laughs> devs just whip it out when you have a lady over. I took it I took it to uni with me. It was probably how I pulled my Chinese girlfriend. Oh, who's bragging though, eh? <laughs> And well, it was, it was, a, it was <laughs> well, it was Korean because it was my sister-in-law who bought it over me. Has uh, this turned on the Dr. Fall? We just tell our life stories now. I, I like that so. though. Uh, but anyway, back to this film. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Not even worth, not even, not even worth watching on a hangover. Oh, oh that's the ultimate. But, uh, <laughs> ultimate <laughs> damn indictment. My word. And we have watched some shit when we're hungover. Okay, fair enough. And so let's be cops. Let's push on him essentially. Yeah. Zero stars. Okay. Yeah. Daniel, what did you watch this week? Actually, talking about Zoe Deschanel, I rewatched 500 Days of Summer. Hey. Was, yeah, great. Suppose you hit that as well, you fucking hipster. No, like I thought. You would. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, it's a really good film. I mean, it. I don't know, it does have like sort of like hipster elements and, you know, it sort of some of the fan base of it as well. Or people that don't really like films, but, you know, really annoyingly cling on to this. And, you know, it sort of wears it, like, with pride. You know, like, the sort of fashion that they wear, the music they listen to, and stuff like that. But it's just it's really enjoyable all the way through, I think. I think you're exa- I think that's why 500 Days of Summer has now become very popular. But why it was able to deflect a lot of that sort of hipster criticism. Because it does wear its heart on its sleeve and saying that it's two main characters, especially Zoe Deschanel, who usually just plays, like, a sort of hipster stereotype. They're knowingly hipster. But at the same time, they're hipster, but then you kind of forget about that because they're two just really well-written characters. Yeah. And they have, and as well, because it's such a nice deconstruction of the rom-com, because it's not what you expect whatsoever. Zoe Deschanel's is called Ice Queen, who doesn't really fall for Jason Gordon-Levitt, does for a while, and then just kind of, well, spoilers for 500 Days of Summer, if you've never seen it, kind of forgets about him for somebody else. For yeah. no real reason, either. He doesn't really do anything wrong. I mean, it's one of those things that whenever, I've, I've seen it a good few times now, but uh, whenever you rewatch the film, it's like, the more I actually identify or agree with her character. I mean, there's this, there's this really telling scene where they're lying on the bed together and she's sort of like telling him about some dreams that she has. And obviously, it's something like very deep and means a lot to her. But meanwhile, there's this voiceover in his head thinking, oh God, I'm actually in here. And it's sort of like, I think it draws attention to the fact that he's more in love with this idea of having a girlfriend and this woman he wants to spend his time with rather than it being her. Yeah. He's in love with the entire yeah. idea of it. And that's like, you know, she's actually, you know, quite an annoying character, but yeah. I think she's actually true and honest all the way through. And it's something that yeah, he's not. That's, that's why I didn't like his character. And a lot of people, what do you mean? I just found him really annoying. He, yeah, he, he, he overreacted her, the whole, basically. Yeah, yeah goes exactly. With his own thing. I think it's it's even the way it's formed at the start as well. They they kind of form it that you can tell that Jason Gordon Levitt's character only likes her for image alone and what she kind of represents this sort of pixie dream girl oh, sort of thing. Sure, you know yeah. what I mean? This this thing that yeah. was unattainable. Then when it becomes attainable, it's it's so you know if you scratch away at the veneer, it's so shallow. Like he doesn't actually really care about her, her personality whatsoever. But then I suppose maybe has it mishandled then because like Dom was saying, so many people actually think that she's the bitch and whereas Joseph Gordon-Levitt's characters, yeah, I think so. most people that I've spoke to about the film are all, oh, she's such a bitch in that film, you know, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. It depends, is, is it men that have said that? Are they just are they just equating her character to women that have coldly dropped them in That's their good lives point. it could be that could be the case and maybe they're not actually which is be. they might even not realize that that's the whole point of the film is maybe perhaps like those men who just especially younger boys like in their late teens early 20s just fall for the first woman that they get close to yeah it's just and the then, first girl basically yeah. showing any sort of attention or affection like and they just don't even look past any sort of realm as long as well it's all they say but you know in a lot of cases if they look nice and they treat you half decent then 
who cares about personality? Yeah. It's almost like a wee vessel, like really. Mm-hmm. It's pretty fun. But uh, what else you like about the film? Oh well, just as well. I mean, like there's certain things that those that are uh, they're quite different. I mean, it's really cheesy and over the top, and obviously that's the point of it. But the entire dancing scene, mm. where he's walking down the street, and you know, I mean, it gets it just keeps on topping itself and getting more and more ludicrous as it goes on. I mean, he looks in the mirror or the, this car window and sees a reflection of himself as Han Solo because in his mind he's the coolest fellow mm-hmm. alive. And then there's that entire uh, expectation versus reality scene where you see the way this uh, night, this party in Summer's house plays out, you know, how he expects it to and, you know, how it actually plays out. And it's quite sad, but yeah, as Calm Heron would say, it's very sure-footed yeah. in everything it does. No, it's really, really enjoyable. Uh, a good supporting cast as well. You know, his workmates are... Very, very good. And uh, Chloe Grace Moretz as well, quite yeah. young in it, but she's very, very funny and handled well. So, yeah, really enjoyable film. I always, always like that wee niche as well that they done in 500 Days of Summer where it's got the supporting characters in black and white speaking under the camera about the first time they seen their love. Or the, the, and, I mean, it's it's about cotton candy. It's about sentimental, but I think it's just the actors and the actual dialogue I was wrote from it. It seems very from the heart. Like, I thought, Christ, I can't even remember his name. It's uh, it's one of his best friends, the, the, the guy with the long hair. Yeah, yeah. And he's the one in the long term relationship. He's mm. been with his girlfriend for like nine years, and he's talking about the first time I met her. And it just it kind of it kind of gets you because you know a lot of people who were like that, like my own dear Mickey over there. Oh, hey. you know actually as well though, they actually filmed scenes there where they had some of the uh, the crew who were on speaking about how they met their wife or significant other or whatever. But then I think that was sort of branching maybe a bit too Aye. on the nose or a bit too self-reflexive that yeah. they sort of scrapped out. But yeah, it's a, it's a nice idea. I like they to use it sparingly. If they would have used it too much, then it would have become a wee bit clown and a wee bit just, you know, as I said, overly sentimental, mm. but sickly. But yeah, no, definitely it's a good film. Michael. Uh, this week I watched Need for Speed. Oh, so you watched the film this week and that's good. I watched the film last week as well. I just wanted to talk about all through the Need for Speed. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I just mean I played Need for Speed. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah, no, I Need for Speed. We Arm Paul and Imogen Poots. Yes, Imogen Poots again. Poota, Poota. (laughs) She's got a (laughs) Poota. Give me the fucking Poota. Um, I don't know. Like she, she's been in a few things, but I couldn't really tell you anything. She's like she was in another film we are in Paul that one we Pierce Brosnan where they're all going to kill themselves. Oh, I and they all kind of run a bit of beach throwing. Uh, I don't see that film. It's all very, shit. it's all very <laughs> sentimental. Um, but no, yeah, Need for Speed. It's, it's not a great film. No, I, don't, I don't, I don't know what I expected going on there. Like, but it, it for me, it kind of seemed like what people think a Fast and Furious film would be, but then Fast and Furious is actually really entertaining, really good, and mm-hmm. this is just not really that. There's mm-hmm. there's there's some great car action in it. Like, like, oh, you, would, you would like to think so for a film called Need for Speed. It's yeah. basically a Fast and Furious based film. Isn't yeah. It? <laughs> Fast and Furious light. Aye, there's pretty much. I thought it was about drugs. But, <laughs> but no, all, all, all the car stunts I and all... it was like a biography of Usain Bolt, though. No? <laughs> But all all the car Long stuff was was done uh, practically, uh, apparently. There there's some bit kind of ropey bits on there mm-hmm. that I think was CG, like where like they they crash and kind of a car flips over another one and stuff. But uh, no, you can tell like all the actual driving, all the stunts and all like that's all done practically, and it looks really good. And there's some really cool POV shots when they're driving and all that looks cool. And. Uh, it's a good cast, but they're they're not really used very well. I mean, like you know, Aaron Paul's a great actor, mm. but he just he, he's supposed to be this kind of badass racing driver, and he just he can't really pull it off. <laughs> it's it's a strange thing if you brought Need for Speed again. I haven't seen Need for Speed, but it 
it's harking back to what Dom was saying about Let's Be Cops because I think that Need for Speed's written, and I don't want to keep going back to IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes, but well, you are. <laughs> I know, but they're, they're obviously a good. I suppose they're a good measuring pull for most people who are looking because let's be fair, everyone's done it. If you're undecided between maybe three or four films, you'll go on just to check what's good, yeah. what's not, and you'll use it maybe as like I say, a measuring stick. But I think critically, on Rotten Tomatoes, that bomb. Whereas I think on IMDb, it's up in the sixes, which is you know quite quite good, quite standard. And I, again, I, I I think it might be the fact that it's people liking it because Zarn Paul and the Breaking Bad sort of fame and stuff like that. We see on I watched it on Amazon Prime and it had four stars on that mm. forty five. But I think as well, just we people rating and stuff like that air, it's just like if you're gonna whack on Need for Speed on Amazon, it's because you think you might like it. Yeah. And, and so it's just a a person that's kinda more into that kind of fast and furious kind of car action stunts racing kind of mm-hmm. thing anyway that they're more likely to like it rather than somebody like you that's not, like Shan that's not really into it. I well that was the actual plot for Need for Speed as well. It is like they kind of took a look at like the screenwriting handbook of oh you could you could have this kind of device and you could have this thing, kind of device and it's like yeah let's just put the ball in <laughs> as a rebel with a cause we had this <laughs> relationship with Fuller then it just no because the the main thing in the film is Dominic Cooper's supposed to be their kind of rival yeah. and like he's he's the he's the He's the kid from the same town, but then he made it big, so he sold out and all his hair kind of oh, crap. Oh, yeah. And even he's not intimidating. I know, you see. Yes. But then... <laughs> but yes. Don- when you said Dominic Cooper, I actually imagined Dominic West, and I was like, that'd be class. He's just naughty, but then he can't drive. We've seen that in a while. <laughs> Dominic Cooper's a good actor, though. He's but, a good uh, actor, yeah. But, uh, yeah, so he he's he's the kind of rival in it, but then they work together to make this uh, car that was like a forgotten car that Henry Ford was working on or some bullshit. Like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but then it, it comes down to this race between Arm Paul and uh, Dominic Cooper. This is still in the first act. And then Arm Paul's wee, wee friend that's been buzzing about him the whole film. He's all, he's the best driver, yo, and all is here. He decides they rock up on the race as well. Uh, it's like, oh, you're dying. so dead. <laughs> <in this race. laughs> you are dying in the next five, five minutes as well. <laughs> And sure enough, he dies. <laughs> Spoilers for Needs for Speed. It's it's the first act, like, but uh, yeah, Dominic Cooper clips his car basically, and he goes flying off. And then Dominic Cooper lies and says he was never in the race. So then Arm Paul gets blamed for it, and he goes to jail. Crafty so, so it's a whole revenge thing then. But so they have uh, Arm Paul trying to get revenge on Dominic Cooper. Then they have this uh, race called the De Leon, which is set up by Michael Keaton. <laughs> oh yes. My my interest is just picking it. <laughs> yeah. I find out Keats is on it. Like that's he, that's me so he just rocks up every so often from his studio. <laughs> but uh yeah, so then you have that air on top of it and then you Is he driving a Batmobile by any chance? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. But then you have this layer of the the cops are after Aaron Paul. One because he's just out of jail, so he's on probation, and two just because he gets the cop the cops to come after him. He just antagonizes the cops for no reason. Dilemmat. <laughs> no, he, like a cop comes up to him and asks him to like stop revving his engine. He's like, oh, "It's a really loud engine, isn't it?" And all this here, and it's just he's, he just he gets the cops to him for no reason. Then that's the whole way through the film. The cops are after him. Yes, yes, yeah, it it's, doesn't it's, make sense. It's like is this just... a film designed for teenage boys? Perhaps, probably. <laughs> just <laughs> living out this fantasy of like, "Fuck you, fuck but, you all, nah." But nah, then, like, fuck the police or anything. But then you have the storyline of that Dominic Cooper is also going out with Aaron Paul's ex girlfriend. <laughs> Just <laughs> can't have all the subplots, boys. Like, just focus on one plot. But, it turns out it's his dad. <laughs> but then, did, did Aaron Paul's mum die and say, 
one day, sir, <laughs> a really fast racer. <laughs> oh, the, the kid that died as well is also her brother. Oh, gee, there's just so much going on here. Too much to take on. So then, by by the end of it... Need for a plot, it should have been called. Oh, they, had, they have enough of that. <laughs> no, need, for, need for one plot. Oh, all right. <laughs> but, uh, so, at, towards the end, then, they have all this hair going on. And Dominic Cooper changes, and he's just a complete cartoon villain at the end. I mean, like, that whole thing I told you where he clips the boy's car and he goes off. Like, that's kind of explainable that, like, he was just trying to save his own ass. Yeah. But then, the first time Dominic Cooper sees... Aaron Paul and like after he's been DJing and all he's basically rubbing in his face that his friend died yeah. and that he accompanied his sister to the to the funeral it's like no he's <laughs> just he's just turned from like nice guy to dastardly in this place like fucking a fortnight and that's just that's just bad bad characterization bad writing I suppose really but fair, if they'd have a dog in a car with him you know where he's risen like the dastardly <laughs> I, that, that would definitely go my estimation in all fairness if he had a dog in a car with him I would have written from the whole way uh, as a dog laughed as well once in the class <laughs> <laughs> Especially when they don't sound really evil. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the, I'm giving away this whole fucking film, but you're not going to watch it anyway, so it's fine. But the very oh, end... I, I have my Sunday plan that I need for speed. The very end of the film, right? Arm Paul's car gets fucked, right? So he needs a car for the day they own. Mm-hmm. So then his... Dominic Cooper's girlfriend, Aaron Paul's ex-girlfriend, the sister of the guy who died. He's <laughs> turned on the Jeremy Kelly. It's the one same person. Uh, she she decides to leave Dominic Cooper. Ooh. So she gives uh, Aaron Paul the keys to a car. So he goes to get this car. It's the car that Dominic Cooper was driving that killed the guy. Ooh. Why hasn't he got rid of that car? <laughs> no. This is the <laughs> literal know. thing that can send you to jail for murder. <laughs> <laughs> Destroy it's, like, it's like my jail on will just And so yeah. she gave the keys to Aaron Paul so he, I, so, could, he... so he could drive it around antagonising yeah. the police. So, so I, no, with no, his murder. No, 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 no. <laughs> Instead no, of not just giving it to the cops, you know what antagonise the no, police? This, this, thing? this is at the very end of the film. So he uses it the race in the Daily Own and then he gets arrested because the Daily Own's an illegal race. Oh. And then Dominic Cooper gets arrested. How long is this film? Two hours. <laughs> no, I've wow. never watched that. Two hours. It's not even just the put up, but it just sounds like the most unappealing film I've ever heard of. In in saying this, there there was a glimmer of hope for this film that there was this one scene, and funny enough, it is the most ridiculous scene of where uh they're they're being chased by the cops and they're just coming up to this cliff and they're about to like film and Louise it. <laughs> <laughs> but then his his friend it's rocks up them and Louise, but, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then his friend rocks up with a, with a helicopter which is consistent with his character every time this boy shows up he's in a different air vehicle <laughs> so uh that's just fucking mickey helicopter just, right. <laughs> just land right whenever it wants. so then they strap the car onto the helicopter and then they fly off with the helicopter and this is the best part of the film because it's the one kind of true moment you get between arm paul and Imogen Poots that because she, she's she's uh, screaming and all because they're just flying in the air in this car. And then he's, he looks at her. <laughs> she's screaming because she's just been left on the helicopter yeah. for no reason. Yeah. She, she, <laughs> I love that. She, she's in the car that killed her brother. She, <laughs> no, this is a different her person. Her boyfriend has essentially just taken her, kidnapped her while she's getting away from so, her murderous <laughs> other she's, she's, she's in the She's in the car. That has killed her brother. No, and now she's been kidnapped all... on a helicopter. <laughs> like no, this, this, this is a different car, a different gear. This... Mikey, I've lost track. Nobody cares. Exactly. Let's just make up that plot now. Like, but no, Arm Paul stare like screams at him, just look him, look into my eyes, and all this here, just to try and calm her down. And, all. and there's a really nice moment between them where they start arguing over who has the bluer eyes. Oh, and it's Jesus. no, but it's a really nice moment because it's just like. A, 
like it could have been improvised. It kind of feels like it was improvised, but it just it's it's a kind of just nice wee character moment. And that's the one time that I actually really liked those characters. Mickey, I know for a fact you are an absolute sucker for sentimentality. I guarantee yeah, that is <laughs> a naffest. Like. I guarantee that is a naffest scene in that whole film. Although, as an arc purple picture, he was all, look into my eyes, and he just shot her in a fucking face. <laughs> <laughs> no, just, but it's... Just it's no, but it's... <laughs> <laughs> fucked up on the rollerblade, just... <laughs> No, but it's it's not built up like it's a big romantic scene that they're staring into each other's eyes. They're literally screaming at each other, my eyes are bluer! <laughs> so bad, Mickey. I know, but that's what's good about it, though, that it is kind of shit, and it's just them kind of having this uh, dialogue when they're flying in a fucking car. <laughs> I don't know. I really like that scene anyway, but yeah, the rest of the film is a bit shit. But if they were ever to announce a sequel, I would be interested to see it because the cars, the, all the car stunts and all is here was really good. And I think there is just enough there to build on them characters. I thought you were going to say, no, I well, they are, they are going to do a sequel. I've heard that the characters are up for like the characters have signed the, con- <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 the contracts like they're on. has the laughing dog? That's what we really need to do. <laughs> it's Motley on board. There actually was a dog in it as well. Really? It played an important part. Could we need for Speed 2, Motley's Revenge? Definitely. Sham, what have you watched? I watched a lot of stuff this week, but it was kind of a disappointing week because... Everything I watched was kind of underwhelming or a bit shit. And it's the first week that that's happened since we started the podcast. The only film that really stood out this week was uh, The Kids Are Alright. Have you seen it? I've heard no. of it. It's, it's an old film, isn't no, it? No, no, it was released uh, well, was 2010. That? So, I mean, it depends if you think it's old film or not. Uh, but it's uh, Annette Benning, Julianne Moore, Mark Ruffalo, Josh Hutchison, who's the guy from Hunger Games. And I, I'm never going to get her surname right, but it's... Uh, Peter Pocket. Peter Pocket, yeah. Peter Pocket. Uh, Mia, your favourite actually, Michael. Mia Wajakowska, is it? Mia Wajakowski. Um, Waj- Mia Wajakowski. I know. It's one of her first American roles. Uh, see, to be honest, you're right, there's, we, we talk a lot in this podcast about aesthetic and like, you know, cinematography and direction, you know, and we delve very deep on it. It's one of the first films I've watched in a long time that has none of that, but it just sells itself as just a really good story, which has also amazing actors involved in it. And, there's a lot to be said. I think we've brought this up before, you know, about cinematography and all these aesthetics that you can emerge and they one big sort of amalgamation. They make a great finished work. But sometimes all you need for a good film is good actors in a story. And it can be the most kind of standard medium shot setups and the most standard cinematography and the most kind of standard sound design. And this is exactly one of those films that the plot is absolutely excellent. Essentially what it is is in it, Benning and Julianne Moore are a lesbian couple. And hey hey, Sorry. and they've got uh, they've got two kids. Or two kids are Peter Pocket, Josh Hutchison, and uh, Mia Wasikowska or Wasikowski. Just now, call her Alice. Yeah, we'll just call her <laughs> Alice. Uh, but uh, the reason that they had these two kids is because they uh, got sperm from the same sperm donor, like eighteen and fifteen years before. And the sperm donor is Mark Ruffalo. Mark Ruffalo doesn't know that he's got these kids. He wasn't even sure. You gonna say something, Michael? He turned. Imagine Mark Ruffalo was your dad. Oh, you'd be fucking <laughs> absolutely delighted. Absolutely delighted. And big Hulk sperm. Oh. He's one of the 15%ers, yeah. you say. Boss night, that woman. He's one of the 15%ers, isn't he? You know, one of those boys that when he's in a film that goes up by about 15%. I'd say so. I mean, like, he's yeah. one of. A, 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 he is great. A, a topic, well, my topic later on is actually just a kind of jump around, is underrated actors. And Mark Ruffalo, mm-hmm. I'm not going to date now because we'll talk about it later, but Mark Ruffalo is definitely one of those actors. But. Uh, Essentially, he doesn't even know if he's had the kids. He's just donated the sperm to the sperm bank. And then one day, Josh Hutchison, because he's kind of a wee bit lost in life, he's not getting on well at school. And even though he's got two mums, he, he wants to kind of feel like he's got a, a normal household set and he wants to, you know, meet the person who actually followed him. So 
they find out his contact details, they go, they meet Mark Ruffalo, and uh, him and the two kids hand off straight away. Then he gets invited to dinner with uh, the lesbian couple, Annette Ben and Julianne Murn. Everything goes well, and it goes so well that Mark Ruffalo's character's just bought a new house, but his garden's fucked up, and Julianne Murr's character's like a landscape gardener, so just he kind of builds the bond, he invites Julianne Murr around, they do up the garden, he's going to pay her. But then while she's at his house, they start an affair. She, because she's very unhappy in the lesbian relationship with Annette Benning because she's a control freak and she doesn't really support her family in any way. And then that causes, you know, the, the biggest sort of element of drama. Well, that and is an it, interesting story. Yeah, it? and then the affair, the affair is uncovered. And it kind of, it's obviously, it, it breaks up a lot of relationships and stuff like that. I'll not give away the ending. Crack and chew. I mean, even from just giving a synopsis of that story, I think that even you said yourself, it sounds like a very mm-hmm. interesting story. And it is. And with that caliber actor, I think you've got Julianne Moore, who's an Oscar winner, and then up uh, Annette Bening and, and Mark Ruffalo, both an Oscar nominated, I suppose, even though that doesn't really mean anything, but uh, all very, very oh, accomplished. Have you been Oscar nominated? <laughs> <laughs> nah. <laughs> but, there you go. <laughs> uh, really, really accomplished actors, and even the two young actors since then have went on to prove their sort of calibre, Josh Hutchison and obviously Mia Wasikowski, yeah. who also watched another film this week, The Double, which is also excellent on. Yeah. But... Uh, yeah, just a, a, a really great film, solid, and I wouldn't say unremarkable, but unremarkable in aesthetic, but, you know, a lot they say about its actual story, but I don't want to go too much on the story, in case, you know, somebody hasn't seen it. No, but let, let me just ask you, it's the whole thing of the lesbian now having sex with man. What's up, that? Yeah, it's it's kind of that... I don't like this thing of, oh, lesbians will just shag a guy. Like. See, that's they were saying too. I think they kind of use that, and I don't think it was even a criticism of film, I think they kind of use that just to show how unhappy she is in a relationship and how boxed she feels with Annette Benning that she will literally go with a man just to feel any sort of affection. And then they actually do bring that up. They do bring it up later on yeah. that that is the most hurtful thing to Annette Benning is the fact that she was so unhappy in a relationship that she wouldn't even cheat in her way on our woman. She felt that desperate that she had to go to a man or whatever was easiest at the time. So I, I, oh, they, they do uh, they do highlight that. So it's not like they're kind of just brushing off sexually, like all lesbians or yeah, deviants, yeah. and they'll do anything, or you know, gay people in general are deviants. That's that's not the case at all. Not that I've seen anyway. Because any lesbian I know don't go doesn't go with men. You've I've, tried. I've tried. <laughs> <laughs> it's not cheating, like come on. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've, yeah, I've only ever known women that have gone go with men who have occasionally got with women, and have got with a woman and then instantly regretted it yeah it's almost like a fad thing i suppose when you're younger they've tried to do it and then they've never yeah oh no that's completely ruined that relationship i had with that person (laughs) (laughs) well because because it would be weird if you like you tried to have a same-sex relationship with and then you're like, oh, fuck, I'm not actually enjoying this at all. A hundred percent. Like, say if I was to dive over this table now and roast you, what would you do? Like, would you enjoy it? Would our relationship <laughs> no. be ruined? That's what we got the podcast ruined, yeah. <laughs> That's what it's here for. <laughs> That's what it's here for. Old Well, Can I give you a circumcision? You'll never forget. Well, I, and I've had a few. <laughs> <laughs> That's odd, because most people do forget circumcisions. What? Have you had one, Michael? No, but like most yeah, people get them when they're babies. babies. Have so you, you had one, Dominic? No. Maybe under an aesthetic though, as well. Do you have I know that. No, they don't. They just wap it off. <laughs> they just wap it off, do they? Yeah, they just wap yeah, it, it off. Butter knife, bang, straight away. I'm no expert. I think adult circumcision, but did you not be under an aesthetic? No, I'm not on about adult ones. I'm saying circumcision right. in general is mostly babies. No, And that's where hula Let's get off this. Let's move on. Okay. We'll move on to news. 
first news is Godzilla versus King Kong has been announced for 2020. Sounds interesting. Uh, the thing that's going to be interesting is... King Kong wins. Does he in the original? I can't remember. Yeah, he swims away. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's not really winning, is it? Yeah, but he swims. More running away. He, he swim, no, he's... <laughs> I've run away from a lot of fights. I don't say I won them. Hold on, hold on. Is that how you do? They plunge into a battle. Like it's almost like uh, what's it, the Balrog and uh, Gandalf. Gandalf, oh yeah. And, and everyone's like, "What the fuck's going on?" And they never see what happens to Godzilla, and you just see King Kong just like. <laughs> I was just, really and it's not even front crawl. It's just a simple breaststroke, and he actually looks back. He's like. It may just went through the water and said, like, Hey, we're n- one of us is going to die here. Let's just sack it. You can go back and say one. I just love under the water. <laughs> just dumb as well. Is that Dom's measuring stick for <laughs> how fights are won? We bullied as a chill. Oh, I ran away, so I won. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even imagine that. I'm a of just. King Kong taking it up <laughs> after he's bit the fucking head of Godzilla. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Pure gluten too. I should uh, I should say they've they've announced as well that it's going to be Kong Skull Island's going to come out and then Godzilla two and then King Kong versus Godzilla. Kong yeah. Skull Island. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of not just like King a, Kong. Where in, it's like a prequel kind of is all set on Skull Island. It's before basically he's discovered and brought to New York. I think. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. the pre-story. Uh, it sounds interesting. I, I really, really, really enjoyed Godzilla that was out last year. I love the fact that the only complaint was, well, the major complaint towards the film was that Godzilla was used very sparingly. And you actually, considering it's a film called Godzilla. They kept cutting away from when he fought people. You don't really see him that much. I, now, I like, maybe it was a wee bit too minimalist in its kind of representation of Godzilla, but at the same thing, I loved that because it spent most of the film actually developing proper characters except uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson. except Aaron Taylor who is the he, stock soldier character he was just a walking piece of cardboard yeah, in that he was, he was, it was like a wardrobe being on screen just at all times Yeah. but besides his character I really liked how they built it up they threw it back then into the classic Godzilla about like nuclear you know dangers and nuclear disarmament didn't and stuff they have like some other little nuclear animals like Mothra or whatever like it was uh, like, Mewtwo's or something yeah it was something like it was like mini Mothra's it wasn't actually Mothra because they're, they're shaving him like a, he wouldn't sign the contract but uh, <laughs> it was it was a really good film like in saying that then going on the Godzilla vs King Kong I, I would kind of like it if they done Godzilla vs King Kong in an AF sort of knownly B movie sort of way you know, and kind of poke fun at it, but also try to keep it a bit serious. But I know for a fact they're not going to do nah, it because Godzilla not. was so stripped down and so kind of presented in the most realistic manner possible. I know, and but at, at the same time, that's really interesting too. So either way, I, I'll be I'll be happy enough to watch it. It's just weird because those Godzilla versus or King Kong versus yeah. films are so now ripe for parody that it's going to be strange because it's been about fifty years since one of those films has happened. It's going to be strange to see them, you know, modernly again. Because they're going to be such like a, they're going to be a, they'll be an easy target for you know like kind of jibes and, and fun and stuff like that. But I mean, maybe they could show a lot of people up with doing it in a, in a more modern way. See, I'm just wondering how big are they going to make King Kong? Because King Kong claims the Empire State Building, Godzilla's pretty much the Empire State Building. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like he was huge in that last one. I think I've seen a thing where he was actually the tallest Godzilla out of. Like the even the Japanese films, he's done all. a transformation. Man. He's done <laughs> a jump, <laughs> but uh, I so he's bench pressing. He's the skyscrapers. He's the size of buildings, like and King Kong isn't that big unless they supersize him in in Skull Island. Now, like it's not all about height, man. 
Hey, but if it, if everyone's we... got a plan to get yeah, I've, I've, yeah. seen, I've seen a terrier take down a German shepherd. <laughs> <laughs> he's not even joking. Oh, the look he's giving me. That was horrifying. St- I've... Straight under the legs, straight for the bollocks, and just glitched on and wouldn't let go. So are you saying <laughs> that's what King Kong's going to do? He's just, just going to grab Godzilla's balls and just not like go. Doesn't she? Godzilla's a lady. Well, are you basing this off the Matthew Broderick? I one? am, yeah. I mean, I know very little. Godzilla's I, both. I, I, I think King I, Kong should not hate Godzilla, and if I, Godzilla's a lady, I don't. I don't know if that's canon. Why would though. King Kong not hate Godzilla? Not hate Godzilla. Godzilla's well, no, a lady. It's unfair. But King Kong's a gorilla, a and that's a nuclear, no, a radioactive lizard. You think to yourself, well, when you actually strip it back and look at it, right? Godzilla's a, a Japanese radioactive lizard. Yeah. King Kong is just a very angry monkey. Yeah. Like, fair enough. An, aside from an, the fact angry ape, an angry ape, an, an angry ape. <laughs> aside from the fact that they're both very angry, why do they need to fight? You know. Well, King Kong's also huge. Huge. He's huge. What is huge? Big. What is huge? What the fuck was that word you said? Huge. Huge. All oh, right. Okay. I was wondering what the fuck you were talking about. That's the most bizarre pronunciation. He's like a huge German scientist. About huge. Oh, he is huge. <laughs> he is huge. We cannot control him. Scott. He's huge. <laughs> 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 like you said, we have like a white lab coat on. <laughs> Monocle. <laughs> Fucking crazy hair. Right, but do you know what? I think that the main stumbling block for... Who is... The, do we know yet? Who's directing uh, King Kong vs. Godzilla? Don't know. It, they literally just announced They've it. just announced it, right? So it's very, very much in the pre-production stage. I think the biggest stumbling block for that film will be to actually write the story around why they're fighting or why they're both come to the same place at the same time. It's not as if they have like, much motive. They're just because they're animals. big fuck-off animals trying to claim a piece of patch. Yeah, but it'll be more of the fact... Well, I suppose they're going to explain a lot of that in Skull Island, but how is it obviously the King Kong gets to the same place as Godzilla? How does he break out? That'll be a big part yeah, of it. Like. Oh, you so. see, well, are, as well, like, are, are they going to try and follow the whole thing, oh, the whole story of King Kong? Like... As he brought the New York or whatever, and he's he escapes and all that crap. I'd be I'd be very surprised if they would because Peter Jackson's was only out a couple of years back, and he done it. It's 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 not the same. It's not the nineteen thirty three classic. I mean, obviously, Jesus Christ, the, the graphics are so much better, but I don't think it really improved upon the film. And anyway, Peter Jackson always says that King Kong's his favorite film, and it's the film that made him fall in love with cinema, and he always wanted to make King Kong. I personally found his version it was you know visually spectacular, but. It didn't really add much to the story. If anything, it bloated the story and diluted it a wee bit. It was over long. It was over long, so it was it was a wee bit. Mickey was on it though. Too much. (laughs) Mickey was on his Jack Black. My greatest role. Cracking performance, Mickey. It's good as well. You really. It was beauty. Maybe maybe (laughs) the way it's going to work is they didn't actually kill King Kong. They brought him back to life and put him in a secret place underground. Did tests on him, and then Godzilla emerges. And tries to destroy Long Island. That's just but, hypothetically but Godzilla speaking. It's New York he's attacking. The movie Godzilla is the good guy. Yeah. So would King Kong be the bad guy? I suppose I right enough because Ooh. that was a strange sort of maybe. Left. Maybe that what it will be is that they're both good guys and mankind is the bad guy. Oh, I like it. No, that's going down a whole fucking alien versus predator kind of. Who's done that? A screamer. By the <laughs> way, Dom, we brought it up last week, and I meant they bring it up at the start of the podcast. You can, you can tell straight away that that's the kind of shit that they're going to do. They're going to have these two gigantic monsters who sort of they represent sort of the monsters in the back of the human mind or what your subconscious like a monster thing. But actually, all they're trying to do is be animals, like being like doing the same with an Indian elephant that charges yeah, through a village. Too. It rampages through a village because some farmer a couple of weeks ago shot its calf. What else would you do with that? 
or it's just going to be a kind of parody is not the word but an allegory to the fact that mankind is just wiping out wildlife like every time i'm clicking my fingers another species extinct Mm -hmm. or on a less extreme note like that bull who uh, charged on the cost cutters on wicklow a few years back you remember (laughs) (laughs) imagine his brothers in the lead just staring at that media and really fucked See, up. See, if I if I <laughs> trying to get that that you, if I if I rode up on Hugo the <laughs> Great, I would have tamed that ball. <laughs> would have got it back out. <laughs> well, I love them. I know. Obviously, I'm going a wee bit off off course here, but uh, for any listener who has not seen that uh, that video of the uh, cow going on the uh, cost cutter on Wicklow, he's just fucking going mad in this. I think it's like. The, the bacon oil so there's flour fucking going everywhere and he's just ramming on the eggs and stuff like that and this granny walks under the oil sees the cow and does not seem face whatsoever <laughs> just walks back again not at all fucking not at all worried whatsoever that she might get rammed to death well you wouldn't do it if you live out in the countryside you'd yeah, kind of get used to the animals like after did, did, in all fairness that cow probably worked there it probably yeah. just fucked off like Did I, last pay slip didn't go through <laughs> <laughs> getting paid in grasses <laughs> big bags of grass uh, but I, Godzilla vs King Kong, it'll be interesting because I think it'll go a lot of ways. And it's, like I say, it's, it's a recreation of a sort of template of film they haven't done in a long time. So, yes, could be interesting. Okay, next news Die Hard 6 is in development. Skip. Len Wiseman is back to direct. Skip. And apparently, a lot of it's going to be set in 1979. Skip to the and end. act as an origin story for John McClane. Oh, John McClane, like yep. he doesn't need an origin story because uh, of the origin story is Die Hard. Yes. yes. <laughs> and the thing is, I mean, about like Die Hard Fuck's is that, sake, like, yeah, it's like all this plan would have went amazing if it wasn't just for this one cop who happened to be there. He just happens to be a bit of a badass. You know, that's sort of what it's about. That he is like this sort of, you know. One of well, them old cop who is not a badass. He's just a bit of a. He's just an, a bit of a, a fuck guy. up. He's yeah. John Everyman. Yeah. See, this is. I know, like sometimes we kind of feign disgust on the podcast just to kind of ramp it up for a bit of crack or something like that. But this is one of the few Wait, times. Yeah, <laughs> 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 you're just angry all the time. You are the Hulk. This is one of the few wish. times where I just think, what the fuck are you doing? I know no, the no. franchises. This is why. Franchises. This is why sometimes I don't even bother going to the cinema anymore because it just seems like you're running out of ideas, especially yeah. coming out of Hollywood. Is is why I don't get out of bed sometimes. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> There's no good films released in the last couple of months. <laughs> fuck, I'm just gonna stay in bed. The present state of affairs. Well, phones on their work ways, Dad. Dad, I'm not coming on their work today. Why? Because of the state of cinema. I could have said that about John McClane origin squad. story. Can I do that? That's that. No bars, I know. I know. I'm there, we. Like, oh, like, Jesus. All right, take as long as you need. <laughs> Shuts the business for two weeks. <laughs> uh, like Dan was saying, uh, and he's exactly right about the whole intrigue, and not even mistake, but just the whole reason why John McClane was so popular is that obviously during the 80s, the early to mid 80s you had the stereotypical action hero who you was had, you had your John the Matrix you had muscle, what, what word did you just say musculator musculator what want to say muscular M- musculator musculator obviously during the 80s you had the stereotypical action hero who was very muscly like the Alexa Rambo and the Terminator Schwarzenegger Stallone whatever and then the reason why Die Hard was so popular, not only because it was a really well-made and sleek action film, was the fact that John McClane completely defied that at the very end of the 80s, about is it 88 or 89, because he wasn't muscly, he wasn't a sort of ridiculously sure-footed character, he was just a normal guy, a general cop, put in a situation, and he had to work it out. And some of the best things about Die Hard is when 
he's obviously stepped on the glass and his feet are bleeding and you can feel he's shaking himself. Aye, like he's he, fucked. He's shaking yeah. himself and he thinks, Jesus Christ, I'm, I'm not going to get the better of Gruber and his fucking bunch of boys. They're going to do me in and that's it. And then obviously as the sequels went on, they made him more and more akin to that sort of, maybe besides the muscles, that sort of know-it-all, infallible, indestructible Schwarzenegger or that indestructible yeah. Stallone. And now they went, they've went full circle in the fact that they're doing now an origin story. Certainly the origin story of John McClane, like you said, was Die Hard, and there's no need for an origin story because what's it going to be? Him sitting in the house with his fucking wings or on the beat? I'm drinking loads of drinks. Yeah, you know, it was really funny actually as well. You know, uh, the name of Die Hard when they released it in the Asian markets, you know, a, a lot of time they, they don't translate, they called it Reluctant Hero, and then in brackets, and he has no shoes. That's <laughs> 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 like, I love that so much. So good. <laughs> so, so good. But I, I, I really don't see the purpose now whatsoever. Yeah, it's. It's fucking stupid. I mean, because... It's just doing Die Hard in... Uh, was it New York? Is it Dallas Airport? That's, no, that's... And Nakatomi Plaza's in LA, but he yeah, comes from... He flies in from New York trying to save his marriage. First, yeah. first, one, first one's LA, second one's Washington Airport, and the third one's New York. Right, so New York in the late 70s, early 80s was a bit of a shithole because the actual city itself was running out of money. It was nearly bankrupt. Yeah. So they're just going to have a lot of fun with the kind of style of what New York, like, you know uh, the gangs out of um, The Warriors. The Warriors. Yeah. They had yeah. gangs yeah, roaming around. Like a, yeah, it's going to be like a fucking well, I mean, obviously parts, like, parts of downtown New York are going to be, be just full of hoes and pimps and drugs and all sorts of shit. I mean, like, obviously Can you dig it? Can <laughs> you dig it? <laughs> I, I've started that now in text. Like, I mean, anytime I'm asking somebody are you going out for a drink, every single text about can you dig it at the end of it? <laughs> and I, I don't think anybody's calling on you I'm trying to impersonate your man in the Warriors. But I think you're right as well. We like that recreation of like the really grimy 70s, which was just, well, grimy 70s in New York, which mm. just populated by crime. You know, the, the sort of vision that Taxi Driver has in New York yeah, at that time yeah. or the Warriors. You're not going to get that now, especially if they're trying to just do a typical franchise blockbuster film. They're going to ignore that. No, no, that's that's what they're doing. Yeah. I, I reckon, I predict that they're just going to well, make it's, it. It's not going to be they're the going to show action. that grimy stuff. Well, you see, though, but it's just going to be the same shitty action. They're saying though that it's uh, the, be just a the nineteen the nineteen seventy nine stuff is it's just going to be flashbacks. So you still have Bruce Willis as present day John McClane. Oh right. So that's not going to be the whole film. It's going to be oh, flashbacks of his origin kind of. Should have left with that, Mickey. Why? Because that's that's what we're talking. Because well, uh, so the film's not actually going to be a prequel. No, it's well, going to be flashbacks. There's going to be a guy Wells, that fucked him over at the very start. A, well. a case that he never ever solved, or whatever, yeah, some nemesis of his, and then finally he, he, he comes back again. Is that was some job for a casting director. Hey? Just recording that though. They get a new John McClane. True, yeah, yeah, but I mean but that was through a lot of CGI. They could get they could get Bruce Willis's daughter. Okay, and the next news is Nick Cassavetes to direct the Roadhouse remake with Ronda Rousey. Always kind of breaks my heart anytime you hear about Nick Cassavetes doing any sort of film because you think to yourself, it is the ultimate example of not as good as your dad. <laughs> and not not only not as good as your dad, but it's like your follower, John Cassavetes, literally created a whole new movement in cinema, which, you know, the reverberations that continue on the day. The man is considered the, the follower of independent cinema. Obviously, from doing films like Shadows and stuff like that, and it's very, very harsh to tar some with a brush. Like, oh, why can you not take up your father's mantle? Because if it's a filmmaker in any sort of repute, then you just make the films that you want to make. But it's just, it's just such a disappointing lineage <laughs> when you see what John Cassavetes done and what. Because Nick Cassavetes, he done the Notebook too, didn't he? Yeah, he did the Notebook, My Sister's Keeper, the other woman. 
but he also did Alpha Dog. Yeah, well, I mean, like Alpha Dog. Alpha Dog. Alpha Dog is not a bad film. I mean, like it's well, when you look at it, it's probably as close as what he's ever came. They sort of imagine as as far as aesthetic, but really? you've went you've went from the actual father of independent cinema, the son being just a purveyor of rom coms. You know what I mean? Well, Essentially, like the other one. No, well, not rom coms, but sort of mushy, sentimental, romantic dramas. Oh well, there's there's a market out there for them. Oh no, of course not. I'm saying I'm not criticizing. It's just it's it's a weird sort of lineage. But well, if if you want to go along the line of he did the Notebook, I mean. For for them, Nicholas Sparks films, that's the best one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And no fairness, I mean, The Notebook gets a lot of flack for being the ultimate kind of girly, weepy film. But if you look at it, I okay, it's sentimental and it's it's about two D, but it's it's actually an enjoyable enough watch. Like, I mean, I'll 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 pull it out there. Like, I, I think it's a it's a decent film. It's not the I, worst thing I've ever watched. I I didn't actually like the, the Notebook, but I'm not coming from it as like, oh, it's a woman's film or anything. Like it's I did really like the whole thing of the older couple, and. Uh, what what'd you call James Garner? Uh, is, James Garner. Uh, oddly enough, Jesus Christ, just going on that. It's uh, Gina Rollins is the actress, and that is John Cassavetes, well, wife when he was loving, and so that's Nick Cassavetes' mother. Ah, so there you go. It's it's, you it's a family affair. But, but uh, I, I like that whole story then of it of just how heartbreaking it is that she doesn't remember kind of thing. But the actual story that the Ryan Reynolds, not Ryan Reynolds, Ryan Gosling, Baby and, Goose. Ryan Gosling and fucking Rachel McAdams. The actual story of that is just I wasn't too plus to that, but I like the whole kind of heartbreak of the older couple. Then I think that the the relationship between James Garner and Gina Rollins. Actually, she's not. not even Gina Rollins. Gina Rollins is fucking filming these. What are you on about? Who's, no, she that's Susan Sarandon. No, that's not Susan Sarandon. No, that's that's somebody. It's the Argyle from filming these. Go and check it. It's, it's Gina Sarandon. I completely forgot her surname. Gina Davis, you were thinking. No, it's not Gina Davis. It's either. Gina Davis. Type in a woman on the influence. Gina a, a, Davis. A woman on the influence, which Thelma is one, Louise. one of the best female sort of performances ever. Uh, can't remember her Gina Rowland. It is Gina Rollins. Yeah. Who the fuck? Who, who's you're who's thinking the girl from Gina Davis? Gina Davis. Jesus Christ. That's yeah, what I was just saying. Gina Davis. I was completely writing that off. Sorry, I was completely. My, Typical my, you, just ignoring whatever, because you're too busy speaking. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, the knife's out. <laughs> the knife, the knife's out. It's, it's actually pointed point towards me as well. I thought, I thought it was in Chan's back. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, sorry, but as I said before, it's tough to tap. Uh, but <laughs> going back on the going back on the Cassavetes thing uh, about just the original point, Roadhouse, I don't know It's interesting. Roadhouse is the original Patrick Swayze an absolute slice of 80s cheese like about this Buddhist guy who can just beat the shit out of people <laughs> who also works as a bouncer in a bar it's great stuff it, it works because it's so bad and you know there's a sort of nostalgic charm to it I suppose is it as good as Ghost Dog nah it's not as good as Ghost Dog no. it's not as good as Ghost Dog like. but White what, Man's what? Ghost Dog but what? what is it the White Man's Ghost Dog <laughs> <laughs> the more racist White Man's Ghost Dog <laughs> but what, what do you think he could bring in a sense of Ronda Rousey is going to be the lead in this, mm. and she hasn't really done much acting stuff. And what Apart she has done hasn't really been well received. That's what's worried me. And that is, is this is this the bird that just kicks the shit out of people? Yeah, yeah the UFC yeah, champion. Yeah, yeah. yeah, my when, bro, yeah. She can take you out in nine seconds. Yeah, <laughs> she'll just get you in an armbar, and you're fucked. She'll probably dislocate your fucking arm. But can she act? No, 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 no whatsoever. <laughs> I mean, she did that wrestling thing as well on WrestleMania, and it was just so he, awkward. He, he took the words out of my mouth. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. I think it was like last year's but WrestleMania. That's, that's basically American pantomime, though, wrestling. Precisely, and but yeah. the but the thing is, is like 
okay fair enough i'm not saying that it's any any sort of measurement of how good night but i mean like the rock came from wrestling and obviously he's a phenomenally talented man and being just a great actor and he's he, mr charisma but they drafted him ronda rousey because they're star power and they were trying to sort of you know bring the ufc and and uh, sort of the wwe or whatever together and she was brought on for like this two minute bit where she's trying to intimidate the owner of the company and she exactly what you said she comes across as like a panto von she came across because she didn't really have to speak that much because she's not an actress so she just had to do body movements but it was almost like she was a silent film actress she was just so theatrical and over the top like these big kind of glares and like rolling her eyes and stuff like that it was cringeworthy so if they're expecting her not only to be in star in a film but actually be the lead it's got alarm bells they're going to have to have a fucking seriously good lender I I won't judge her for doing that considering the amount of money that they probably threw at her. I'm not judging her for doing it, I'm just saying that I think they're going to have a very hard time in getting any sort of performance out of her, because she's not an actress. Like no. She's a phenomenally talented sports person, but it's very evident from what I've seen that she's no actress. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan, actually. I think she's great. You know, when interviews, mm-hmm. she comes across really, really well. And, you know, it's always great to see, you know, you know, women in sports and getting, mm-hmm. like, you know, great reception, especially in such a male-dominated sport like the UFC. But, you know, it's one of those things as well where, like, you know, obviously she's a big name now and they're trying to translate over to film. And you know yourself that very rarely works. It's I mean, obviously The Rock and all. I mean, Hulk Hogan as well has had his fair share of, you know, acting roles, especially in Gremlins 2, what a performance. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it is just that sort of, you know, uh, money-making thing. And, yeah, I mean, The Rock has translated, but has anyone else really? Yeah. But but you're, you're bringing up The Rock. When The Rock started first doing films, he wasn't good either. He was the Scorpion King. Yeah. Mm. and he, shite. But see, he, I, No, but the, the Rock developed as an actor, and you can actually see, if you look at his earlier films, the what he's doing now, he is... He's, He's a serviceable actor now. He can do, and he has just bags of charm as well. And that's that's the key thing about The Rock. But he he worked on it, and I, I don't think Ronda Rousey now like she's still fighting and stuff. And I just don't think she's really putting in the effort of actually trying to get good at acting. She's just doing these things because she's a big name. She's getting offered them. But see what you were saying, but I I don't agree with that because obviously grew, growing up as a, as a kid as a wrestling fan, you could tell because I mean the Rock when he was giving interviews and stuff like that, that was acting. That obviously wasn't him. That was his character, and that is just basic acting. And he was amazing. He was so charismatic. You know, the most electrifying man in sports entertainment, as he has to call Aye, himself. But that's that's just his charisma. But but no, but I know. But I think the original roles that he took, like in the Scorpion King, were great. I don't think I was anything down to his acting. I think it was just the fact of the agent they had at the time, and he was packing absolutely balls roles. You know, I mean, he had really, really poor roles. I just think that you didn't get to see the talent that he had. I don't think he's developed an, as an actor. Well, I think he's, he's always had that in his locker. Do For me, personally, I don't know. But you see, I mean, if we're talking as well about, like, The Rock being, like, a, he is actually, you know, a serviceable actor. I mean, the roles that The Rock does, I mean, we're not saying he's, he's a great actor. He's, it's still, not play, he has any, like, emotional he's still playing role. a hard man in everything. Yeah, but then, I mean, done. if you look at Rousey, I mean, what are we going to expect from this film, then? I mean, are, are we going to have, like, any, like, sort of emotional hook to her character? I mean, probably mm. not. You know what I mean? And, you know, what are we going to expect from it? See, what, what's great for me as well is that, and even if if you disagree, when you were talking about The Rock at the, at the start, you thought he was maybe a, a lumen actor, which, you know, I, I don't agree with. At least he looked like an actor, but any time I've seen Ronda Rousey, she seems like, you know, when you're a kid and somebody puts a video camera on you and you're really awkward or you try and, like, overact, she seems ridiculously awkward in front of a camera, yeah. even, even like, in two-minute skits. So for her to carry a whole film, I don't know, they're gonna, she's going to need some serious acting training or, or some serious work done where in, in the build-up to that. Well, do you, do you think the director would be able to bring something out of her? If it was, if it was his die, <laughs> 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 I don't know. No, I'm not. Well, well, fair, like. look, look at something like Alpha Dog. Like, 
like the performances they got out of that like or do you just think it's because it was a great cast but no for it's a great cast and even you could even point the oh well justin timberlake wasn't that but justin timberlake's actually quite a good actor and he's been trained from a very young yeah, age and he went through like obviously the, the disney company and stuff yeah. like that before he was ever the in hard of the mickey mouse club <laughs> i know i mean they, they, they have they had break actors they have they have they had some emotional fucking deaths you know what i mean yeah, <laughs> I look at, but you actually look at some of the people that come out. I mean, like, well, fair enough. British Spears Crossroads. Oscars messed up that year. <laughs> I mean, her character I really felt for. I mean, because she's not a girl, but she's not yet a woman. <laughs> that always confused the fuck out of me. What are you at? <laughs> oh, very good. I like that a lot. That actually, <laughs> I really like that a lot. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know. Round that's. It's hard, to, it's hard to get excited about. You know what? The only way I think it could kind of work is that the original Roadhouse, like I was saying before, is a big slice of cheese and it's it's like because it is so naff and I think that it may be that if Rosie's performance is really naff and then they just kind of ramp up the action and make it look as stupid as possible, then it could have that sort of appeal again. Like, so bad it's good. I don't know. I don't know how it's going to go. I think it might be a bit of a fucking train wreck, to be quite honest with you. Actually, I just remembered as well that uh, Ronda Rose is actually in Fast and Furious 7. Nah. Yeah, yeah, I, she's like one of the security guards in uh, Dubai, yeah. and that, yeah, she's awful, she's pretty nah. good, I think she actually plays like a Russian in that, you know, uh, but she's like sort of, she's fighting, who's it again, who's uh, in, the, the woman in Fast and Furious, is it Eva Mendes? No, what's no, no, what do you call her again? Michelle Rodriguez? Michelle Rodriguez, that's who that's right, yeah, yeah but uh, she sort of like takes the earpiece out and doesn't call for backup, and she is all, oh, finally, like a challenge, and it's just one of those like, cheesy throwaway lines and stuff, but uh, nah, it's, it's, it's just crap, it's a wooden performance yeah. altogether, yeah. I don't know. I don't know how it's going to go, Mickey. I think it's going to be bad. Do you think they'll get Sam Elliott back? No. <laughs> <laughs> you whack him, man. It'll be a bit better. Throw him in, I think. And also, Parks and Rec, he was good in that, wasn't he? Huh? Parks and Rec. Yeah, he was great in that. Yeah. I think he's the only actor who may have a moustache fee. You know what I mean? Just <laughs> You have to get that. Because if you have Sam... I've seen Sam Elliott without the moustache, and he's just strange looking. He needs that huge handlebar on him. Okay, we'll move on to next rules. The creator of Lofa. Lofa, I'm a fucking copper, mate. Neil Cross is writing a script for uh, Escape the Escape from New York remake. Yes. Mm, that's interesting. Which... Oh, Pliskin. Yeah, well, not mm. only is it an Escape from New York remake, but the main star is also The Rock, who we've just been talking about. Is The Rock in that? The gonna, Rock is, is going to be, be the new Snake Plissken. Are you... Oh, are you, shit. No, oh, you're sorry, sorry, sorry. I'm talking about... You took a big... Big drift. Yeah, no, I'm talking about the remake of Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah, Sorry, oh, mix yeah, that up. Because yeah. I was going to say they should get The Rock. Just That'll to, be incredible. Just to reprise yeah. Kurt Russell's career of everything. The, uh, oh, actually, they haven't named the new Snake Plissken yet, but uh, that, that sounds really interesting. I think that that's a really good choice because obviously, as we all know, all big John Kirbner fans, massive John Kirbner fan. Uh, and I think it was Heron a couple of weeks back who was kind of against Kirbner's films being remade, but because Kirbner's films are so ingrained in pop culture and because there is sort of that the, the, the beautiful thing about his films is that they're sort of ingrained in that time period of the 80s and early 90s but at the same time you could still see them being modernised under the modern world because the stories are so good and the performances are so kind of iconic that they could be recreated they're like iconic but they're, they're not embedded in time you could see them being made again yeah. and I think Escape from New York considering Carpenter done such an amazing job with such a limited budget of presenting that dystopian New York, which old enough we didn't bring up in the dystopian future, we Abbey yeah. last week. You're damn full, Shankar. I'm a goddamn full. Didn't even bring that up. Fuck's sake. Or didn't even bring up they love either. There's a couple <laughs> of dystopian, or, or you know what I mean. But I think that could be brilliant, especially as well with uh, was it? Is it Mike? What would you call the writer of Lupa? Neil Cross. Neil Cross. 
I love Love for the series. Lofa. I love uh love the series. It's it's kind of it's it's really realist as much as the BBC can be realist and the fact that <laughs> you can't swear and you can't really have as much violence. Okay. But I think he just you can sorta of half swear. He pushed that show just to the edge of what the BBC will allow him to do and made a cracking show. I would love to see him actually with a leash taken off and being able to, you know, have maybe socially realist things in there, proper crime. Because the way he wrote some stories in Luffer, which is cracking crime stories and the they're what's the word La- labyrinth La- ra- labyrinthine labyrinthian La- labyrinthian that they're so intricate and they're so well built up Maisie I'm Maisie essentially hi but they do that with a, a sort of limitation on you I think with with someone that can be as visually striking as Escape from New York with of course the, the modern sort of technology they have they make it look even better even though I don't think they'll be the practical effects of the original film that's that's really good I'm really looking forward to that well who could be Iroquois who could play Pluskin. Who could play Pluskin? That's a good question. We had this thing a couple weeks ago about Wolverine. Who do you think? Who could be the new Snake well, Pluskin? H- how, how old was Kurt Russell when he did it? A, a 32, yeah, I think. So you're looking around 30s? Well, not, not so much. You could have a younger looking. I, I don't think there's a, a really... Well, I suppose not. Pluskin, the whole thing about Pluskin, which makes him interesting, uh, during Escape from New York, we'll not mention Escape from LA, but uh, <laughs> Escape from New York is the mystique that's built up around him. And it's such an easy thing to do with a character who you're trying to make cool that all these characters keep mentioning this bank job or these stories about Pluskin, but it's never really elaborated on. So you're thinking, yourself, fuck, he was a mad bastard. But they don't really talk about it that much. You're thinking, oh, what did this guy do? Blah, blah, blah. So you would have to have somebody at least in their 30s who looks like they're a wee bit experienced. Just just because you brought up the whole mystique thing, it just reminded me of something we talked about in previous podcasts. Uh, what about Jake Gyllenhaal? Oh, that would that'd be good. Because it reminded me of his character from Prisoners mm. because he had so much mystique behind him and it's never talked about. It's strange though because Kurt Russell and the reason I love him he's one of my favourite actors well, is like one of my actors here but I would go to see well he's not on much these days. That's why I'm really looking forward to Hit Flight because it's essentially recreating his career. He was in Fast and Furious 7 as well. Was he? He was, I. I didn't see Fast and Furious 7 yet. Uh, it was alright. Like I, but I mean, uh, I, it's just it's ridiculous as well. Like, he's like this uh, sort of like god of like the CIA and all and he brings in you know Dom and all to help him but he's got like this keg of Belgian ale unnamed and he's all oh this lovely Belgian ale and then Dom obviously Van Diesel just hamming up he's all I'm more of a Corona man and he just pulls like this bucket of Corona out from under him and he's all and hey, if you do this job for me I'll get you a keg of Corona like, like, he doesn't even come in kegs it's ridiculous like I love yeah, it so you can play through me right now because you were saying oh Dom and I just imagine Dom being that oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the character's based off yeah just his stoic <laughs> response to everything. Well, cl- clearly, Dom could be a, a, a replacement for Snake. Park, Actually, he's got the beard. He's got the long <laughs> hair. All you need now is they buff up, man. And you've been doing exercises recently. You could be the oh, new yeah, Snake Plusskin. Who owns the rights to? We're writing this on. Who owns the rights to escape from New York these days? Let's write the Carpenter. I reckon I get back this. I do have a few scars as well. I'll tell you, we'll do first thing tomorrow morning after we complete the second draft of Handjob Kevin, which is well underway. We can get a couple of we can get a couple of production stallsy right and like kind of provocative poses and stuff like that. You wear a gun. You wear a knife. With with my knife, I, I reckon they'd be sold on that. They wouldn't even need a cast. He's the, he's <laughs> the new snake plus. A few, few couple of pictures up around Craigan, or I don't know, some of the. Do me a favor, tell me, or actually say it, say it to the room, the classic Pluskin line. Tell me, I don't give a fuck about your presence, in your in your lovely British accent. I I didn't even think you would have to put on an accent. <laughs> you're that you're that much of a fat. I think that the modern audience would accept Pluskin as a humble British man. There's no well. No, I, I disagree. It'd <laughs> <laughs> have to be for America. No, well, man. Well, no, go, give, give me, give me. I don't give a fuck about your president. 
I don't give a fuck about your president. Oh, that's all. Right now, Giz, you're American. On, on this, I don't know. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd go straight south. He was going to say, like, fucking Woody from Toy Story there. <laughs> yeah. I don't give a fuck about your president. <laughs> be, be. Go on, lad. Go on, give us. There's a patch I, on my I don't hat. give a fuck about your president. Oh, that was pretty too sovereign for me. Now you're out yeah, now. You're scrapped. Uh, fuck off. Then. I know that we had big dreams fuck there, Dom. You shot yourself in the foot. Fuck off. Do you think it's fault like that? <laughs> Do you think it's still going to be set in 1997 as well? <laughs> 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 I love that. These imaginate like it's it's great. That it's you'll <laughs> probably be escaping drones because if if they're going to put him on Long Island, is it Long Island or is it Manhattan? It's, it's Manhattan. Manhattan's become a prison. So they'll probably just have unmanned drones just fucking hovering around, and that's what he's got to get out of. It'll be interesting. There's a lot they're going to have to modernize about it. Obviously, I mean, Escape from New York made in 1982, and it's supposed to be 1997, and you know, <laughs> 1997 has come and gone, and <laughs> 1997 did not pan out that way, unfortunately, for John Gerbner. Yeah. But also, there's just we sort of slight things. I mean, I don't know if you remember, but when uh, Snake goes on at the start of Escape from New York in the glider, it lands on top of the Twin Towers. So oh, that yeah. that's gonna have to, and there was a whole big thing about him landing because so, so obviously they're gonna have to get rid of that as well. Uh, we can land on Tower One or whatever the fuck it's called now. I suppose Freedom they could, yeah, 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 Freedom Tower, yeah, they could do that as well. But uh, do you know what? I think that'd be kind of interesting spin the two if they were to do that. If they were to kind of put the whole nine eleven thing under it, I don't know. That that, that would just spitball. Nah, like. Let's just get just get rid of that whole nine eleven thing. Yeah, I suppose that might just cloud it. Yeah, I suppose you're right. I, well, I love if, if they kept it in 97, they wouldn't have to worry about it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I might be a bit insulting too, though, I suppose. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it sounds really interesting. I think that what I was trying to say earlier on, the beautiful thing about Kerbner's stories is that they're so good in every single level, but even though they're wee self-contained films, because there's these wee nuances, the certain personal story, you always feel like there's a way bigger world there to be explored, like be it The Thing, or be it Escape from New York, or be it They Love Especially, which is this huge world that you're dying to see more of. But most of these films are an hour and a half long, and you're wanting more. So for them to be recreating them in, in, in the modern world, and to be able to delve into those worlds, I think it should be sweet. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Let's move on to... See, we can do that because Heron's not here. Yeah, <laughs> every, everybody got involved. I like that. I'm, that was I'm, a collaborative I'm, effort. I'm happy with the group. So who wants to go first with their topic? Okay. You want to go first then? Yeah, no worries. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. 
came out there during the week. Johnny Depp. <laughs> Actually, you know what? I'm completely wrong. It's not I'm going to say Johnny Depp. Johnny. Make you run me a chance. We always knew we I want that dad bod. But uh, no, uh, Johnny Depp. Actually, they, An- another famous non-Oscar winner. Yeah. Are they? Are they the new power couple? Yeah, then Johnny yeah. Depp and Leonardo DiCaprio. Depp Caprio. Oh, love it. Ah, Depp Caprio. Love it. What, what, what would actually be what their kind of, what would actually be their kind of couple name? Hey, by the way, Leonie. Nah, there's not a better than answer. Nah, nah. fuck it, go ahead. So not. Uh, yeah, he came out and said that uh, you know obviously Black Mass coming out and you know he sort of got this sort of Oscar buzz around him now, but he said that he'd actually prefer not to win an Oscar because the entire idea that you're uh, making this art form into a competition and he doesn't view himself as competing with anybody. So what I'm asking is, do you, what value do the Oscars actually hold? And I mean. Should we really pay a lot of attention to them? This is a cracker, and I don't think we should limit it just to the Oscars, because, I mean, obviously, oh. it's easy to limit it to the Oscars, because the Oscars are the main one. Me and you have talked about it at length. I totally agree on the fact that acting should not be a competition, because, let's be fair, you could be playing a, a peasant boy in Susley, and you could be playing a, a fucking housewife in Manhattan, or a housewife in Dundalk, or something like that, in competing years and they're completely different characters and how do you actually compare and how do you actually compete those two performances against each other because usually they're between actors who are very accomplished and I think a lot of the time with the Oscars or the Golden Globes or the fucking Emmys or whatever it goes sort of up the populist vote or who's got the most steam ahead of them or which is even in, in the more cynical respect who has had the studio back in them emotion you know, the, the four-year consideration sort of ballots and stuff like that they drive somebody forward but then on the other hand I do think that, I wouldn't say that they're important, but I think that they're a good establishment, they're a good measuring stick. Do you never feel that sometimes they just become a bit of a fucking pat on the back between the whole community of filmmaking? Because, I mean, like, you look, you even look at Scorsese, a lot of people know you kind of look back and think Scorsese should have won for Taxi Driver, he should have won for Raging Bull, he should have won for Goodfellas, and then when they give it to him for The Departed, which is a good film, but not an outstanding film like those previous ones I've just named, it was almost like this might be one of our last chances to give it to him, so let's just give it to him for the sake of it, and that's not right, because that is just giving a word for the sake of it, that's not this on the same Same with the Oscars when it came to all Lord of the Rings. They didn't win much until Return of the King came mm. out and that's when they fucking well, well, breezed you can, through. But you can pretty much say Return of the King is the best one. That was the best film of 2003, I think, anyway. But I was saying Return of the King was the best out of the trilogy as well. Nah. I think Return of the King was the weakest out of the trilogy. Nah, you fucking hipster. Nah, <laughs> nah for me, Fellowship... Still... like The Dark Knight Rises. I fellowship clearly the best fellowship, fellowship uh, Batman Begins is the best fellowship oh my god you're such a fucking upstairs. Yeah, you've done it again you've done it again we didn't mention back Batman I've brought up Batman no, he, well, he no, brought up no Dan Dan did I did say yeah. yeah oh he's got the knife out you're gonna get the fucking uh, knife <laughs> it's interesting though. yeah you're totally right and that is the very cynical aspect of the Oscars and the fact that and, and you look back right and it's someone that is now kind of accepted amongst you know people who are even kind of half on the phone or you would say phone scholars or whatever that the Oscars are a very vacant sort of award show and the fact that it's a pat in the back of people who are in the business and in the know and they, they're, they're good at networking and I a lot of the times they do actually award the best performances or the best work of that year but yeah. so so many times they get it wrong like so many times they get it wrong yeah but then today as well I mean like obviously the way that the films that we see you know being part of the western world they are you know 
very much a product of like the Hollywood system mm-hmm. a lot of the time. I mean, let's be fair, every single time you see films that are nominated, they are all, basically all from this sort of Hollywood system altogether. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are other films out there. Do you mean, obviously we're not, like, we don't see them as much or they don't have this sort of uh, support or money behind them. But, you know, it's not as if, like, Hollywood's a be-all and end-all of cinema. Do in you know all, what I mean? In all fairness, I don't really go against that because I don't think that the Academy makes any sort of, I don't think they lie about the fact that they are, predominantly there they honour American films because you've got mm. the BAFTA for Britain you've got uh, the Caesars for France you've got the Berlin Film Festival the, the Golden Bear for, for Germany they are all obviously going to focus on it because if you were to focus on worldwide then the, just the, too no- many uh, the nomination polls mm. will be far too big so you have to narrow it down in some way and in fairness to the Oscars like most other award shows they do kind of then obviously relegate it down then the foreign film I do think though it's quite it's, it's too short a shortlist for all the amazing foreign films made every year, they have to narrow it down to five, but at the same thing, you have to narrow it down to some. But no. I do think, though, that the main problem, not only with the foreign film and nomination and the selection process and the selection process for the American films or the American actors, is that it's films, like we've talked about so many times before, that pander the Oscar bit a lot of the times. Well, yeah, I mean, you know yourself that in terms of, like, the politics that drive the Oscars, I mean, yeah. like, you have a film like Crash, which obviously is anti-racism, which we obviously all agree with, but in terms of Crash, it's it's very on the nose uh, it's got its weaknesses yep. it shouldn't have won that Oscar especially given that year well I mean I but think because I, of what it stands for it did I think that it is definitely a, a very cynical world it's a world full of networking it's a world full of backslapping and fucking you know be, buying people dinners and buying lunches and you know maybe a, a, well I wouldn't quite say payoffs and stuff like that because I'm, I'm sure that doesn't happen but I mean, it's definitely one of those worlds where you're trying to promote something and you're just trying to win and it's apparently it's, it's, it's a very very vicious uh, sort of marathon essentially but that's the ugly side of it and yes a lot of films or a lot of actors are dismissed or do not want who should win but then at the same time it gives you great gratification in the small times that they do win you know it, it gives me great gratification that Daniel Day-Lewis mm. not only because he's an Irish actor but because I think he's maybe the best actor I've ever he's loved not, he's is not the Irish. most is the most <laughs> uh, well, as, as they Joel, say Joel's uh, citizenship. As, as they say he's a plastic patty and he admits it himself he's a plastic patty he's more but, Jewish than Irish yeah, yeah no yeah he's actually he's, 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 a, he's, a, he's a London and Jewish he's man from, he's from South London South, South London. London he's a palace fan man isn't he he's from South London from but, Jewish uh, no, actually, no. He's no. No, he's a mole wolf. I guess besides the one, but I do is like the. Scumbag? Yeah, I, know, I do like the fact that he is the most decorated actor ever, which is much deserved. I do think, like in any walk of life, I think good work deserves recognition. It deserves maybe not a glitzy, glamoury award fair where they get these two hundred and fifty grand gift bags and stuff like that, and ads just their really disgusting wealth. I think that's so blown over the top. And it's so, it's basically just a representation of capitalism. Yeah, but yeah, I yeah. do think that good work, no matter in what work of life, if you're working in a fucking factory or if you're an A list, multi million pound earning director, actor, whatever, I do think that's deserved. But I just don't like the actual backdrop and the, the rat risk that yeah. goes, uh, goes along with it. See, I would say I'm actually, I have a, a bone to pick with the Oscars as well because like you know uh, I'm into films and I also like pub quizzes is that whenever you go to a pub quiz everyone expects you to know everything about the Oscars and I would sit yeah. there and try and learn you know like obscure Oscar wins or whatever so that you know about it and you know if you don't get something right people look at me like oh I thought you knew about films and it's really so frustrating because I don't like the Oscars at all it's, it's that sort of mentality especially I would say like sort of 
populist viewers who maybe aren't aren't as on the farms or you know have all our hobbies. So I love I love that have all our interests that are outside of sitting in a tent talking about farms. <laughs> you know, people who actually love their lives. Idiots. But yeah. <laughs> no, no, people who <laughs> I kind of want to be <laughs> instead of just uh, watching farms all the time. But it's the sort of thing that they think that <laughs> they think that Oscars are the, are the be all and end all of fun. I don't know. It's it's a strange one. I, I like to see good work rewarded but then at the same time like we're saying before we don't like the rat risk it's not a competition as well I, we, I I think bringing it back to your bringing it back to <laughs> <laughs> you block Mickey no it's just I was trying to think of a word and couldn't think of it bringing it back to what you initially said of what brought on this topic of Johnny Depp's quote of oh I don't I don't want an Oscar like you know like I don't think it was, like we're, we're not fucking giving you one right <laughs> <laughs> you did a you did a good film in Black Mass you might you might be up for it. You haven't fucking won it yet. Yeah. You know, as like if you're you're saying, oh, you don't you don't you don't want to make it a competition. You're in it for the art. That's oh, grand. This, it, why why are you bringing up Oscars then? You know what I mean? Well, hold on a minute. Did well, he, he was asked did about he, it. He, Oh, okay. Well, he, if he's he being was, asked about he it, he might have just been asked asked this. Yeah, no, and that's what that by a journalist yeah, yeah. or no, whatever. Oh, yeah, and then like all this media hype. Oh, you never just yeah. okay, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. the same as well. He's came out and yeah. said this is the, the thing. Like, I, this is a problem. Again. It sort of works on the hype. That whole thing, Oscar. Like, say you released a film and then there was loads of hype about it, and then you were suddenly shot up there. Maybe you had a nomination, and then you didn't win, and then you you made something, and it, the hype wasn't there anymore. What we were talking about earlier with Ro- Ronda Rousey. See, just because she's become so big as uh, the female champion of MMA or UFC or whatever it is. Now she's being put into films and like the whole media hype, they'll throw her up there and we're going to sit here and slag her off saying she's shite. She's mm. such, she can't act. But don't you think that this an element of this exists in the Oscars as well? No. And No? I don't think so to that level. I mean, I think it's... it's, it's too, well, it's, say it's, like uh, it's, it's Benedict too, Cumberbatch or Eddie Redmayne. Yeah, but it's it's two, it's two very poor things because, I mean, it, it's looking at maybe Ronda Rousey who literally cannot act. I know, I know. And I mean, like, it's throwing her on their phone, but then it's actually comparing two very unbelievably accomplished actors. And yeah, I kind of get well, what you're how, saying. That why, that why do we feel that they're accomplished, though? Because they've done very accomplished work before. They've, yeah. they've been gifted actors before, whereas Ronda Rousey is not a professional but, actress. But how uh, Benedict Cumberbatch was in... Um, Sherlock. He was in, in Sherlock. Game. But do you know what he was in first? What? One of the first, for 10. One of the first things that he was in is Nathan Barley. Yeah, well, I mean... Oh, was he in that? He yeah. was in Nathan Barley, and he had a small that. part in that. And you wouldn't but even recognise him. Yourself, how do, how do you and the same guy who killed himself in... Um, the same guy who plays Q in the James Bond films. The is it Q or M? Ben Wishaw is it the new Yeah, Q? he he was in, he was in Nathan Barley as well. But, yeah. but is is your point you're trying to make? How do we tell if people are accomplished because they've started out do they, in doldrums? Do, the, do they no? Is it because just because they came out of say an acting score and an act and then they were just surrounded by people? No, I, that I, they I, sort I, of knew people that they were. Projected no, up. No, I, do, I we, do you think that Hollywood, some or the I, Oscars? I, no, I, I, think, well? I think there no. could there could be an element of that. Like if someone's fresh ne- out of nepotism or cronyism. No, cronyism. I, 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 but I, th- I think there could be an aspect of that that, uh, like, if you leave like a very prestigious school and you know a couple of people or something, like the Juilliard School or something. Yeah, like that, and uh, that 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 gets you into a couple of films. But if you're shouting them a couple of films, then you're done. Yeah, you know what I mean, I, mean, like, I, I, I think it, it's it's if if you're good in it and you can build a good back catalogue. 
I mean, most most people that are up for Oscars, they're they have a they have a back catalog behind them. It's very rare. It's a very young person. Is Do you nominated. feel sometimes they throw an Oscar? Uh, the girl who was in Twelve Years a Slave. I, I the, think the African I, girl. Do you know what? Yeah, I, I and think they threw her in there, and you'll probably not see her again. That's I, a, no, I, she's I, in Star Wars now. She's Jungle in Star Wars. That's now. essentially one of her first roles. I think the old time that does happen. I do think that the reason she got that Oscar is not only because the film was so well received, so she was maybe riding on the crest of the wave of that film, but because the competition against her that year was pretty weak. Okay. And sometimes you just get a weak year, and that is almost like a, that's a complaint as well. Okay. Like sometimes okay. actors run. And they're almost then forgotten Oscar winners just because they won in a weak year and their actual performance that won that may stand out. And what I, I agree too with what Mickey was saying about if you come from like a prestigious school like you know the Juilliard or if you just kinda are a self taught actor, like John Malkovich is a self taught actor, never had an acting class in his Ed life. Ed Norton. Ed Norton, self taught actor, never had an acting class in his life. Phenomenally accomplished actors. And you know yourself at Hollywood or any sort of film making uh, well any any business of of film, be it UK or be it in any other country in the world is vicious because there's so many would-be actors out there who are dying they stand in the fucking shade of the person who's in the moment at that yeah, time yeah, yeah. so as soon as you make a fuck up or one or two fuck ups you're out of there and there's always a dozen hundreds of people they replace you yeah, you know what yeah, i mean yeah. so i think that the people who've built their way up through consistently great work and as well okay let's let's not joke about mac and box office are always going to be people who are usually pretty accomplished well, actors. Yeah. I mean, like the actors who do really, really well nowadays, I mean, they sort of follow that trend of they maybe do one for themselves in terms of like critically or, you know, challenging Precisely. pieces. I mean, you look at people like, well, they pass in my head now, Mark Strong, yeah. who, you know, he does, you know, get these big roles or whatever, or Tom Hardy, you know, he would do like, you know, sort of like big, big budget roles. Mad you know, Max, Luck. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No. But then as well, or he would go Fassbender? off. Yo, Fassbender? Fassbender, yeah. Like Slow, Slow West, West or X-Men. X-Men. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. So. It's, as they say, one for the money, one for the art. And Kevin Smith, years ago, slagged Ben Affleck about that. He would do a small film that he wanted to do and then he would do a money film, be it like Daredevil or Changelings or something like that. And then, I would say, just to round off too, about the Oscars, and it was the original point that we brought up about uh, it not being a competition. George C. Scott, who uh, one of the greatest actors ever loved, won the Best Actor Oscar for Patton. He played, you know, George Patton, like the head of the. Of, you, know, you know yourself, Dan. You're, you're a student of history. Is it the Fifth Army, the Eighth yeah, Army, and obviously they, they they rampaged through Germany and stuff. And he played Patton, won the Oscar. But before he won the Oscar, they said to him, "Well, how's it feel to be up for an Oscar? And how's it feel to be up against these you know fellow nominees?" And he blatantly came out and he from what I've learned in a way despise the Oscars and he says as an actor why do I need to be in competition with my contemporaries why do I need to be in competition with, with my peers because like I said at the start of this argument if you're playing a fucking tea lady from Dundalk and then you're yeah. playing like a aristocratic businessman for Britain if they're two great performances how do you really compare those two performances except based on sort of a wee bit of emotive range mm. why you compare them and I think that's the great question. Do you compare them, give it awards? Is that necessary? But then at the same time, what I said before, I think that good work should always be rewarded. So it's a strange one. It's one that I can't really put my finger on. Just to quickly go back to what I said earlier, I'd like to apologise to Johnny Depp because it was very flippant and told, basically told him to fuck off. Because <laughs> he does uh, listen every week. I know, I, I know you're listening, Johnny. <laughs> I know you're crying under your neckerchief. Um, but <laughs> his cravat. <laughs> but uh, no, obviously he was he was asked he was asked about the the Oscar buzz or whatever, and he just gave a response, and that's grand. But uh, to go back on like he doesn't think it should be a competition and stuff like that. I I don't think 
any kind of actor that's like it they're not think of it as a competition and anybody that goes into a film like like he keeps saying oscar bit kind of i don't really like that term just because i think it's a very strange term but, but it does exist i know i, I know I, I really i don't want to get in the debate yeah. about oscar bit but but if, if you're saying it doesn't exist then i know i'm not saying it doesn't exist yeah. it's just i okay, i okay. have problems with the term but anyway uh if, if somebody's getting into a film like that just they won an oscar then I, I, I don't think they're coming from it from the right place and I think it's rare that an actor would be rewarded in that way if they're just going straight just for an Oscar yeah well I mean like, you'd be surprised but the same I do agree with what you're saying I mean if they're not actually focused on the character or the setting or the actual emotions that they're supposed to draw on and the only thing in their mind is actually won the Oscar and putting out a stock performance of what they know wins an Oscar then that's fucked yeah. because obviously they should be representing the character or the story as well as possible but yeah. yeah, I mean, obviously, I, I do agree with that. But I blame studios more than actors because oh, I mean, yeah. the delay release dates so it coincides with like you know the Oscar buzz and you know that sort of thing. They know what they're doing. You know, they yeah. have like a sort of short list. Of, you know, yeah. this is the one we're putting for. I, Oscar. I, I you're exactly everything. Right. You know, that helps. I, I, I don't think it's on important actors because I think any actor worth their salt, especially like we're saying that actors who have built themselves up from nothing to get that sort of reputation to get the level of being Oscar nominated, are obviously consummate professionals and they're extremely talented people. And I think that they would not kind of sully their profession by going in there just thinking, oh, I can win an Oscar if I played it this way. They'll want to play it like they want to play it as an actor and not in that sort of manufactured way. I think it is definitely the studios who sort of put that together as opposed to them. And, and plus, uh, Sham brought up, uh, like, why why do the Oscars have to happen? Why is there this kind of competition? It's because people watch it. People yeah. are in it. People exactly. like to be able to know, oh, this is the best actor. It might not be the best actor, but no, you're telling me it is. That's yeah. kind of, you know, it's, it's it's just a whole, it's a whole populist thing as well. Just people like competition. <laughs> yeah, no, no, and that, that's, that's what I'm saying to you. I mean, that, and as, as long as you take it with a fucking grain of salt, you know, it's about, it's about a crack, you know what I mean? As long as you don't take it too seriously and you do get actors that kind of go after the Oscar and as I said, it's like, I don't think that's the right way to come for it. Yeah, and the weirdest thing is, is that even having this discussion, it probably came across as like, oh, you know, I, I really don't agree with the Oscars, but I fucking love the Oscars when they come around everywhere because I love, not the circus that's surrounded with, but I love the kind of production and I love thinking, oh, because usually every single Oscar period, there's always films there that I really want to see rewarded, I really want to see you do well, and unfortunately enough, most of the times it's not those films that are rewarded, but when they are, it's it's I don't know, it's it's semi gratifying. They would say, you know, yeah, look I mean? at me, I know what I'm talking about. No, but none of this. No, I'm only joking. I know what just, you mean. You're yeah. happy for the people because they they their following made you maybe feel a certain way. Or it had you know it had an impact on you, I suppose. So what Chan is saying is there definitely will be an Oscar special in February. <laughs> <laughs> no, there will be, and that's all I'm looking forward to. But anyway, I know, I know. we're going to we'll sit here and watch the Oscars. <laughs> <laughs> we'll save that for another day. Okay, we'll go on to another topic. Who's got a topic? Who's got a topic? Uh, I'll go next. My one is very quick and to the point, and I just want you to say one actor or one actress who you think is underrated and why. I'll give mine very quickly. And the reason that I say this actor is because he's got that rare breed, that hybrid of being so comfortable and so hilarious in comedies, but also a very, very underrated dramatic actor, John C. Reilly. I th- thought oh, for a second brilliant. you were about to say John Hamm. Nah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> nah, John C. Reilly. And I think it's because I rewatched Carnage at the start of the week. And even yeah. though he's playing a kind of affable oaf, in a way, he deconstructs the sort of character he usually plays, this easygoing, nice guy. And then as the film, even though it's only an hour and 15 minutes long, 
he starts to reveal himself as being like a kind of prejudiced, hateful man. There's a lot of depth to him. In that and phone. this this yeah. is all a facade that he's put on to this new couple when they come into his house. Mm. And it, for me, watching that, even though even though I knew he was a great actor, you know, and it's crazy to say he was a great even from Step Brothers, but that's a great comedic performance. But from like some Magnolia. And even like well, well, not Count Gangs in New York, which he essentially plays the most stereotypical Irish cop of all time. <laughs> well, yeah, Chicago as well. You can see Chicago. Sing, yeah, but he's great. In that. I think Cyrus as well. He's Cyrus too. I yeah. think it's Cyrus, one. Of the, yeah. I think it's one of the great measuring sticks. I've said measuring sticks so many times. That must be my go-to term tonight. But it's I a think sure for the term. Yeah, sure for the term. I, I think one of my measuring sticks for a great actor is if you watch an actor, and it might sound like a very kind of null point, but it feels like you're just watching that person. And for me, anytime I watch John C. Reilly, he's got that sort of Newman style of acting where he's so relaxed that it just seems like he's on there being himself and chatting and just saying this dialogue that doesn't sound like dialogue because his delivery is so kind of realistic. And I get that all the time. It just, it, it seems like he's a real person. And obviously, as an actor, that's the best level you can ever attain. Mm. You know, it feels like you're not watching the film. You're just watching like almost like a semi-documentary. Even when he's playing these ridiculous comedy characters, he's got this sort of, as w- he's got this natural warmth. Yeah. It, it, there's something about him that just stands out to you. I know, and I, I, there's numerous actors who I would say are phenomenally underrated. I mean, obviously, earlier on, we brought up Mark Ruffalo. I think he's massively underrated. But John C. Reilly is always the one that sticks out in my head. Oh, yeah. I was thinking, maybe not underrated, but he's a sort of actor that, you know, you see in things, and he, I think he always does well. And, you know, he had a sort of uh, lead character where he, uh, he was in Ruby Sparks. But, yeah, Paul Dano. Classic oh, Paul Dano's. Paul Dano's amazing. Also, he was in The Sopranos. Yeah, so, yeah. and obviously, our, only two yeah. episodes. Yeah, our very favorite. There will be blood. Oh no, he's fantastic. Eli, yeah. I mean, he's. I think he's underrated only in a popular sense. I yeah. think he's an absolute Andy darling. Yeah, yeah. He is massively rated. prisoners as well. Yeah. yeah, he's massively rated in the Andy scene, but. Yeah, exactly. He's underrated in a more kind of popular yeah, sense. It's just, it's, just a, it's just a nightmare for him that Jesse Eisenberg's about. Otherwise, he'd be getting all those rules. Yeah, <laughs> to be honest. I think it's as well. And he would I, be like Slytherin. Yeah. <laughs> Social Network is just made for him, but yeah, but it was time, made for I, Jesse Eisenberg more. I think yeah. we were just talking about the Oscars and the, the sort of cynical world of Hollywood, but then going into that more cynical underbelly of it again, I think that the reason he doesn't get those rules is because he's not as good looking as Jesse Eisenberg. Yeah. Where Paul Dano, let's be honest with you, you know, no offense. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a funny sentence they say, Jesse Eisenberg. <laughs> I know, I know. He's better looking than I Paul. I know, Dano. but I mean, like, Paul, I know you're not listening, but if you are, I mean, he's, he's not a conventionally, he's not a good looking man. He's not a conventionally good looking man in any way. Jesse Eisenberg is, you know, a con- not conventionally, no, but he's, 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 he's a passably good looking, he's passably handsome, you would say. He's and handsome, man. He's I not f- offensive, is what you're yeah, saying. He's, <laughs> not that Paul Dano is. <laughs> Paul Dano, your fist is offensive, according to Michael Bresson. But I think in a very sort of low level, that is why Paul Dano doesn't see more of it. Because I think that Paul Dano has you know, made it apparent that he's Andy doing. It's, it's not like he's one of these uh, Andy actors who kind of absconds from you know, big budget films. Because right? yeah. he's done the likes of Looper and you know, There Will Be Blood, which even though it was in the, in the Girl Next Door. 12 Years of Slave. Yeah, 12 Years of Slave. He will dive on those sort of pictures. But he has got this intensity that is near enough unrivaled in so many actors, especially yeah. of his age. He's great as well because you know when he's playing a likeable character, I really, really like him. But God, when he plays like a wee Weasley character, which he has done in the past, he's just, I hate him. I absolutely despise him. And and he's just got, he, yeah. he's just a great actor. That's just his yeah. power, like, yeah, because that's, that's what he's looking for. He, that's the response he wants off you. I mean, you look at, and again, one of our favourites, Robo Big Blood, he is one of the most despisable people you'll ever see in your life but then at the same time even though it's in a, sh- a few short scenes he plays his own twin brother who's a lot sounder mm-hmm. and you can just see the range that you can get even by essentially playing the same character crazy like 
but then even we saw in like prisoners like he he starts off as the kind of creepy guy but then Hugh Jackman turns into a fucking psychopath and yeah. then you're kind of feeling more sorry for him. That's a great switch rules because the way that film plays its hand is that you think that Paul Dano at the start is a pedophile or a yeah. child molester and then as the film goes on you realise that he's not and even though Hugh Jackman still thinks he is it's Hugh Jackman that's turned into a monster mm. and you're sort of your allegiance your, your allegiances shift very quickly mm. but that's just that, that's just some great performances in general and, yeah, and you know what as well just bringing that up even though he's a blockbuster actor and he's known for both, Hugh Jackman's a very underrated actor too. Yeah, yeah. He's a very underrated actor. I think you know, a lot of people think, oh, you know, if you're in a blockbuster film, you're for an A-lister, you can't be underrated because you're, you're making money. But a lot of people would just assume that Hugh Jackman is... Just all muscles and claws. A solid actor. He, he hasn't found his Oscar bait film yet. <laughs> no, he hasn't found his Oscar bait. Oh, he was in Les Mis. He was in a few Oscars though. Uh, Michael? That's fucking yours. Um, Sing along. I, I couldn't I couldn't really think of one as you were talking about, it, but uh, Dan mentioned Sasha Baron Cohen, and he he's he's an interesting actor for me that I th- I think there's so much more to him than what you see, than what you've seen, and I th- like did did you, did you hear that he was supposed to play Fe- Freddie, Freddie Mercury? Yeah, that would be phenomenal because yeah, you could, I, you could I see think, that. Yeah. I think that would have been fucking amazing. Like he's left the project now because. Uh, the the remaining members of Queen had final say on the script because they obviously have to give the music mm, rights and that was one of their stipulations. They have to see the script. And apparently the script was very much warts and all and they weren't really happy with that. I think he would have been amazing as Freddie Mercury and I think it would have just shown what I think he is capable of. Yeah. Because in what he's done, so like he's done more serious stuff like in, in Hugo and... Yeah. We bought some Sweeney Todd as well. Me is the Sweeney Todd. But you know, obviously he's more known for fucking Borat and yeah. what what do you call all on Bruno, Bruno and stuff. Oh, Ali G, come on, Ali G as well, yeah. Genius. But yeah, I think I think there's just so much more to the man, and I think he could he could really give a fucking great performance. It goes on to what we were talking about a couple weeks back as well. Let's. It is much harder to do an amazing comedy performance and a dramatic, and the fact that he has not only done an amazing comedy performance with Bora, but with Ali G, and well, Bruno was about shit, but mm. the fact that he is so capable of creating and actually portraying these comedy characters, I think that a dramatic character, who also had a lot of kind of funny and jovial charisma, like Freddie Mercury, would be a walk in the park to him. Especially as well, yeah. he really looks like him. Yeah, and he exactly yeah. really looks like and him. And grow a great moustache. <laughs> exactly, and grow a great moustache. You just hear Sash Barco and Freddie Mercury, it's just, it's just so interesting. Like, back to my topic a few weeks ago, when Dan couldn't think of anything. But, uh, <laughs> like, it's just, it's, just a, it's just a character that fits with an actor, and that just, yeah. that just clicks right in your head. Like. Aye, definitely. I totally agree. I think that's a good one. Dan, have you thought of an underrated actor? <sighs> You pro- you might disagree with me because you kind of put me on the spot there. I watched a film two weeks ago called Miss Meadows, mm-hmm. and it wasn't a great film. It's not even worth sort of mentioning the plot. However, it starred Katie Holmes in it, All right? And she did a. I I was I enjoyed watching her character. Now she was supposed to be playing a a very prim and proper, almost goody goody, Miss Goody Two Shoes like. The kind of girl that you'd meet on the street, like, you, nah, I'm not going to talk to you. But <laughs> the the other the other side of her, she was like a, a vigilante. Now the thing is that the whole premise of the story they could have done it a lot better. But she played the way she played that uh, character was very good, mm. and I felt that the, the screenwriting or the, the script writing and 
the fact that the story didn't go anywhere let her down as a as an actor or an actress yeah it's why as well because you know she's just became a celebrity you know she became tom cruise's wife yeah. when and obviously she's in batman begins and uh, she had to leave because of the entire scientology yeah thing, didn't she yes but as well i saw her in wonder boy admittedly it's a very small part but you know it's hard to believe that she was an actress you know for someone that's how she became yeah, famous in the first it's place a strange she's one. Gone it's, now. it's almost like sort of sienna miller syndrome that somebody started out as an actress but now they're known as like a sort of a girl or they're just known as a celebrity I'm well, kidding. No, she, she was she was in uh, Dawson's, Dawson's Creek, Creek. Yeah, but she no, yeah. but that's what I'm saying. She started. That was in Do- it's a teenage drama. She started in Dawson's Creek, and then she had Wonder Boys, and then obviously she had like Batman Begins, like you were saying, and The Gift, and she was seen as like the new up and coming thing in Hollywood, and then very kind of prematurely she married or just kind of out of nowhere she married Tom Cruise, and Tom Cruise being the king of Hollywood essentially that just overshadowed her own career. And then the whole baggage that Tom Cruise brought along of being a Scientologist, that overshadowed her as well. And her career just kind of went by the wayside, whereas Tom Cruise went on to make films. And then I know now that they've kind of separated or whatever, but her career hasn't really picked up again because I think she's kind of been stained by that whole yeah, relationship. It might not really be a sexist thing because she has a mother now as well. You know, the mm-hmm. same sort of thing happened with Angelina Jolie, who, yeah. you know, is, I think, a very capable actress. But, you know, obviously the roles maybe not follow that because she is such a big name celebrity. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe it's not like an inherently sexist thing that the men, you know, Jude Law, Tom Cruise or whatever, go on to do more. I think, though, I think when it comes to Tom Cruise, because he is such I a think Goliath, if you get, I think that anybody, you could be the biggest actress that has ever lived and you would near enough still be if, overshadowed if, by Tom Cruise if, if you married him. But, uh, oh, yeah, Katie Holmes, I've heard from our dearly departed Colm Heron, is... Is on Ray Donovan now. Apparently, mm. she's great on that. Like, uh, Calm Heron has expressed for he is a Donna fan. Yes, and she he said she's great on that. So uh, yeah, that's where she is. Uh, Heron Dominic, mm-hmm. go find her. <laughs> By the way, just uh, breaking news. I think Mickey subtly alluded there, but that Calm Heron has actually passed on. Calm Heron is now dead. He's been murdered in a haunted house. A <laughs> kid got too <laughs> fucked up. He slipped and. He slept, banged his a, banged his temple on a dado rail <laughs> in front of a group of five year olds. Yeah, he's just lying there, covered in blood and casserole. And all he's still there because everybody thinks. And even though he was out cold, yeah. there was still one of just poking with a stick. The haunted house, sure. because of years of alcohol abuse, got them. He started hearing actual voices, and he committed Harry Curie with a frying pan in front of a bunch of three year olds, and that was him. Long love, Colm Heron. You were a great contributor to this. What did you say? Contributor? No, he, he committed Sudoku. He committed Sudoku. Sudoku. That He's man has never finished a game of Sudoku in his life. But <laughs> he committed Harry Curry in front of yeah, a team of sexuals, and we will never see him again. But Colm Heron, you were a great contributor to this podcast, and we love you dearly. R.I.P. R.I.P. Light a candle. Pop one out if you're a boy. Anyway, that was a good topic. Next topic. Okay, and we'll move on to my topic. Bam, baby. Which is a film-based would-you-rather game. Ooh, Ooh, I like it. Interesting. I love games. Okay, Christmas so just... Christmas has come early. <laughs> I'll start these off with an easy one. Would you rather be Marty McFly or Scott Howard? Who the fuck's Scott Howard? Marty McFly and Team Wolf. <laughs> Definitely oh, yeah, Marty yeah, McFly. Marty McFly. <laughs> I way you said Marty McFly and Team Wolf, not... Uh... Michael <laughs> <laughs> In all fairness, so if you were Murder McFly, you would have very, very, like, sort of creepy relationships with your own mother. But I'd still go Murder McFly because nobody gives but a if, shit about Team Wolf. But if you're Scott Howard, you're really sweet at basketball. <laughs> I but you're a hairy, well, I'm a hairy bastard. But at the if same he, time... You would just have, you would just have improved basketball, basketball skills. <laughs> but at the same time, you, you're not as appreciated in pop culture. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Dominic? I'd be Marty McFly. So everybody's Murder McFly. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Like. All right, 
Okay. Would you rather get killed going out swinging or get killed with a witty one-liner, therefore accepting your fate of death? Nah, see, I've always liked the going out swinging material <laughs> because I think it's just a more realist thing. Nobody, like, put this way, right? Say there's about fucking 15 cops and you're hiding behind a blue bun and you know for a fact that as soon as you come out from behind that blue bun, you're going to get your shot the fuck down. Isn't Jeremy Renner? Nah. And as I... And as Jeremy... One of my... Well, not even not my guilty pleasure. One of my favorite wee crime films, as obviously like Dan just mentioned, the town. And this is what happens to Jeremy Renner's character at the end of it. She spoilers for the town. We're I know. I know. Well, well, he was trying not to spoil it. I know. Sorry, 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 sorry. I know. I know. But uh, I think that the wee one word quip is just I fair enough. In a kind of unrealistic popcorn movie sort of sense, you think, oh, that's cool. But the same thing, you know, for a fact, it would never happen. I think though, if you summoned enough balls when you're about to get shot down by the motherfucking police. To go out swinging, do the the Bolivian army ending, as they say from uh, <laughs> Butch Cassie and the Sundance Kid. You fucking dive out there. You know what? You probably get one shot off, and then you'd be just obliterated. But who cares? You look like a legend. <laughs> you know what I mean, so I'd rather go for that. I, I would go. I would rather go for the witty one liner. Ah, you would. I, I would go. For, what would, what no, would be your witty one liner? It depends. You, you'd want to go out with a clever girl. No, 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 no. Would even better. Dom's catchphrase. Pipes out there, right? No, he, he mixes both of them. So he dives out, obviously, for the Bolivian army ending. Gets shot once with a bullet. Thinks it's a flesh one. Goes, that certainly is the doctor's tonic. And then just <laughs> fucking starts rifling no, boys. No, no. He's out. Aye, 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 aye. Probably, probably he'd, he'd shoot me. Oh, no, no, it's, it's, this is south so fucking corny. <laughs> That's the point. <laughs> he, he'd, he'd shoot me and I'd be laying there dying. He goes, you missed. And pulled out my own gun and shot my brains out. <laughs> <laughs> Happy, just gleeful. Yeah. So You're not fucking taking me down. I fuck. I decide where my life ends. <laughs> By the way, that's that's copyright. This podcast, no one else can use that apart from us. No, Hollywood, stand back. That's ours. That's so good. Actually. Dan, Dan, what's your decision? All the best death ever has to be uh, well, brick from uh, well, getting killed by a brick snatch. Oh, yeah, so it turns around and goes, Give me that fucking shooter. And then he gets blown away by Brad Pitt as a pikey. It's, uh, I know it's not even like a witty one liner, but it's just it's like the best ever final <laughs> words. We've got so much mileage out of that one line. I reckon, though, see, see when we can actually come down to it, I think that my favorite, I wouldn't say fair, but my the, the scream death that I would love to have the most is getting burnt to death in a caravan. Just from t- from chatting about Snatch, yeah. they're so oddly cinematographic about. Them. Yeah. No, my favorite like on screen death. One of them is a uh, CJ from the uh, what's it say, The Walking Dead. No, uh, like the John Dead, the remake. It's the Zack Snyder one. Yeah, when he yeah, blows up the uh, the the whole canisters uh, where he's surrounded by zombies, and through that he saves everybody else. Crack a last like, line, please. Because he's an absolute wanker at the start, and then he becomes like he this such a legend. That was uh, me, one of me and your favourites. Also, it's not one of your recommendations, but one of the films that me and Dan first bonded over when we were young kids, about 13 or 14, wasn't George Romero's Dawn of the Dead, which is the better film, but we hadn't seen it at the time. Zack Snyder's remake of Dawn of the Dead is that the one very with good. Uh, Mickey Pfeiffer in? It's yeah, uh, Mc- Mickey Pfeiffer, Ty Burrell's in there. Uh, Ving Rhames is in there. Oh, it's been yeah. such, it's a oh, really, such really a good film. Ving Rhames as well. And then uh, Michael Kelly, who plays CG, and is uh, like you were saying when he's about the light the dynamite with all the zombies. Rhames all fucking figures. <laughs> so oh, good. That line as well. Whenever Ving Rhames is a cop, and they say, "Oh, they're all, we need you here. Help us." And he's like, 
fuck y'all. It's just fucking plain. Yeah. That's a crack, aren't you? Okay. Would you rather have a lightsaber or a sonic screwdriver? There's a Doctor Who movie. Fuck off. Nah, well, <laughs> it's a tenuous link, but I would still say yeah. saber all the way. Lightsaber, well, definitely. If you had a lightsaber, I mean, like I had all the the nerdgasms that Mikey has over those films, as along with everybody else. But yeah, if you have a lightsaber, does that mean that you're like akin with the Force and you have those midichlorians? What about no. you? Doesn't know. No, uh, yeah, yeah, does. Only... Pe- pe- people people that aren't for for sensitive can use a uh, yeah, lightsaber. I, I, I mean, like Han Solo being... uses one in Empire, like they cut over cut open the tauntaun. Let's not oh, get on that nitty gritty. We're just saying <laughs> lightsaber over sky screwdriver, right? Okay, so okay. On the next one, uh, would you rather have sex in a horror film or a Lars von Trier film? Oh Jesus! <laughs> uh, well, if you have in a horror film, you're dead. Yeah, but you know what? Uh, in a large Von Tree film, something's going up your No, actually, no, do you know what? No, 100% horror film, because at least if you have sex in a horror film, it's over quick and clean. Yeah, yeah, Whereas yeah, yeah. in a large Von Tree film, you're getting tortured like fuck for about half an hour. You're probably, you're probably penetrating, and then you get penetrated. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, probably, like, you're about you're about the like, climax, and you're getting stabbed in the fucking head. Yeah, Whereas large Von Tree would find some sort of unspoken, of unhumane way, they not only humiliate, but torture Sure. William Defoe, yeah, I mean, uh, in Antichrist. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah I mean, like, yeah, yeah, like, you know, his toddler falls out of the bed while he has sex and dies, and then later on he gets his, well, I don't even want to talk about it because spoilers for Antichrist, like, when I ruin it, but yeah. No, we talked about it. Oh, you did it this week? Yeah, absolutely mutilated, so yeah, yeah. disgusting. And then he ejaculates blood, so that's not any sort of role we want to Always a dream of any man, like. <laughs> okay. Would you rather a dance-off with Patrick Swayze and Dirty Dancing or a fight with Patrick Swayze in Roadhouse? Never the fight. Because <laughs> I think that in Roadhouse, he is so akin with his Buddhist master that he could essentially rip your head off without even trying. Whereas dancing with him, you've, you've just lost a dance-off. Like. No, but you see, this this was my point of bringing up this question, is that, yes, he can kill you if you're in a fight with him, but if you're just in a standard fight, he'll just knock you out. And if you just... If you just bail, all right, you beat me in a fight. We're sweet. Let's go get a beer. That's all nice and friendly. If he beats you in a dance-off, that's just sh- sh- full-on shame. No, you see, you're assuming that yeah. he's going to beat me in a dance-off. You just move on to Footloose so yeah. Town. Yeah, I mean, like... If you lost the dance-off. <laughs> <off. laughs> that's what you call it. That's what it's called in the film. Welcome to Footloose. That's, that's open. And then you start again. You start again. It's a se- right. sequel to Footloose. It's just a guy that was beating a dance off. It's like, it's the only place I could go. <laughs> oh, then he eventually becomes John Lithgow then and just stops all dancing because yeah. there's a horrible thing that happened to him. Do you picture the sequel to Dirty Dancing? Patrick Swayze has annihilated every dancer on earth. Dom, Gustav's on there. Welcome to Footloose Town. <laughs> <laughs> so Shan is saying dance off? Yeah, because I'd rather get beaten in a dance contest and get my fucking head kicked on. Yeah. Dominic? Definitely dance contest. And Dan, yeah. you're saying you would win a dance off? Yeah, so. well, I mean, it would be close anyway. He'd so. probably batter Patrick Swayze and Roadhouse too, like. Dan's a hard man. I, w- I wasn't going to say it, but yeah. See, see I, I, I would go fight because I think we would be best friends after it. No, Mikey. He would beat the shit out of him. I know, he would beat the shit out of me, but as long as I respect him and be all, I right, fair enough, I was being, acting about a dick, he, he, he taught me. Because that always happens when I No, Mikey, let's be fair, you're a forgettable human being, like. That has nothing Jesus. to do with it. You're a forgettable human being. He's like that poor guy. I'm, I'm going to use. Him. I'm going to use that on my next ex girlfriend. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, that is wrong. Because he knows there's going to be a next one. Like. Oh, <laughs> my next ex. <laughs> he knows there's going. 
<laughs> I said that to Mickey as a knowing joke. If you say that for reals, you are an awful human being. <laughs> I am an awful human being. <laughs> you are a forgettable human being. Continue, Michael. Okay, this is more of a watching movies, would you rather? Would you rather try the dick and popcorn trick on someone or have the dick and popcorn trick tried on you? I'd rather feel that dick 24-7. I've so already had... Try it on someone? No, I'd rather just feel the dick. Oh, okay. I've, I've, <laughs> yeah. I've, I've already had a, a similar type of thing. A boy when we were 13 or 12. Why do I always come up with these fucking horrible anecdotes? Yeah, about 13-year-old boys. Like, I was 13 as well. Dominic, you, had we a were pro- you have a phenomenal we sexualized past, I must say. <laughs> This, well, this is. I was already sexualized before this point, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you bragging in your story? <laughs> no, I'm not bragging. I, when I when I think of myself, like how sort of kind of weird I've become, you just, you just look at these little fucking chapters in your life. Anyway, <laughs> we were playing games. <laughs> friend of mine at senior school. Um, I, I'd go around his house all the time after school. Cause Friend his, of mine at senior school, his, AK 47. His, <laughs> his house was a lot closer to mine, uh, a lot closer to the school than mine was, so I'd stop off at his. And we'd be, f- I don't know, fucking around. You know that sort of weird age between where you're trying to be a man and then you're sort of child? So from around about 12 to 14. Yeah. I still doubt that I'm a man. Like, mm. I'm 26 years of age and I still doubt that. And we were playing like, we would, we created uh, without all, all his toys. We actually created a spoof like Sherry Ginger out of uh, the Jerry Springer show, and we filmed it to these girls <laughs> that we're trying to get. <laughs> Sherry Ginger. Sherry Ginger. And we had Patrick Berger, the old Liverpool football player. <laughs> right? And he just was we'll he the main contestant? No, he just always used to get the shit kicked out of him at every show. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, the the girls got bored. They fucked off. <laughs> you kept going. <laughs> and then we started playing a guessing game in the dark and I would guess this in the dark and then eventually he guided me onto something <laughs> <laughs> I love how open this man is and, the, and it's a well and a, you know I felt something I felt something like, like kind of sling is, that, is this the head of a bottle and there was a <laughs> no and then there's the voice in the back of my mind is saying you know what this is you know what this is was, and goes, oh no, a, what do you think it is Dom what do you think it is um. Uh. Just keep touching. I, I'm not sure what it is. Just so. keep touching. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, and he goes. Have you got any guesses? And I went, no. And I, the boys at my back. I went, it's his dick. It's his dick. <laughs> That's his. Cock. No, no. That oh, I don't know what it is. And then he goes, and then he turned on the light and fucking had an erection. He goes, right. Okay, I'm going now. And I didn't speak to him for another four years because <laughs> he played that weird fucking guessing game. <laughs> Dom, this would game of would you rather it's not going that way uh, (laughs) Dom I'm sorry right and I love you dearly and you're a really good friend but I just want to put this out on the table right now your childhood was fucked (laughs) I came from a a very stable loving home but I seem to (laughs) just everyone else I seem to run around with sex offenders (laughs) sex offenders childhood childhood sex offenders (laughs) (laughs) did you be recorded yeah yeah, I don't care. So, Dan, what what would you go for? 
was again? Uh, would, would, would you would you rather <laughs> I can't do, even do, like do, that. do the yeah, pecking yeah. the popcorn trick on someone or have it done on yes. you? No, I don't have it done on me because then you're like, oh, you're fucking disgusting. I no, but do you, do you want? Yeah, that's why I did at yeah. school, and that's why we didn't talk for about three or four years. Also, <laughs> oh, yeah. he was angry with you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what do you tell everyone about our love moment, man? Jesus. Well, he told everybody I got my dick out. What the fuck? He just he made me he made me feel his dick. <laughs> but well, I th- to I be think fair, the, you the knew thing... what it was, and you and didn't stop. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, but it's very weird. Like, like at the time and those kind of situations, you don't know. Okay, would <laughs> you would you rather drive the DeLorean or the Batmobile? Batmobile, any day. I don't give Batmobile. a fuck. Batmobile, all over like, the place. Yeah, DeLorean. DeLorean. Okay. Time DeL- yeah, DeLorean. You're traveling time, but obviously outside the realms of fucking Back to the Future, you're only going to fucking 1955 or like well, back no, in the okay. Wild West. No, I, I would go back to Dom's childhood and rescue him. Dressed as Batman. I wouldn't I be nearly any more as interesting if you rescued me. <laughs> oh, I suppose that. That's you may as well. You may as well just go back and get your own deck filled. You sound there as Batman. Just fuck it. Would you rather be born or Bond? Born. Fuck Bond. It can't. <laughs> See, it's strange. I always. I'm not. But I'm not working for MI5. No way. Yeah. Well, then he doesn't. But Bond's a rebel. See, exactly. he gets the job done, but fuck MI5. Bond's it, a rebel, and he, he and then and eventually he breaks loose. He gets all the ladies. I'm not working for MI5. It's no a weird way. thing to say. I've always liked that Bond is a very realistic construction of Bond, and we've talked this DBF, so I don't want to go on that. But then I like the fact that just Bond's just a bit more crack. Born's <laughs> just a wee bit too yeah. serious. Like, you want to have a bit of crack? Pull this way. If you're a fucking Born's gonna feel a dick in a in a bag of popcorn. <laughs> Born's gonna feel it and have something fucking witty to say about it. Whereas Born's gonna feel it and go <laughs> choke a man to death. <laughs> but but you like, make me feel your dick and go choke you to death. But like like in in the case of Jason Bourne, like we. We've all woken up not remembering who we are, like, you know what I mean? <laughs> Every day of my life. <laughs> we, we haven't woken up and thinking we're James Bond, like. And we haven't woken yeah. up every night thinking, oh, look, there's another beautiful woman laying next to what? me. What? Well, speak well, for yourself. How, how many I, people I've, am I going to kill today? <laughs> speak for yourself, Tom. But, I mean, go around that. that picture waking up and thinking, having a swagger and the sheer dripping charisma of James Bond and thinking... Just an ordinary me drinking drinks and choking men to death and embedding the most beautiful woman on earth. It would be exceptional. Whereas born, you're sleeping in a fucking hostel in Budapest. You don't know who you and are. And you, you, you might get it off with Julius. Yeah. yeah he is a nightmare, doesn't he? Definitely born. Definitely born. Definitely born. Born. Okay, for now. Okay. Who would you rather save? Matt Damon in Saving Private Ryan, Matt Damon in Interstellar, or Matt Damon in The Martian? Uh, Matt Damon and Saving Private Ryan. Ryan. I think basically it's shorter. <laughs> no, not even so much that. I think just basically because the stories of Interstellar and The Martian are so outside of our realms of possibility that you can't really comprehend the human level. Whereas saving a guy, they bring him back. There's more John World War Two who's just lost like three or four sons and that just learn about them in yeah. the same day. That would do her the world of good. Whereas the other storylines, I don't think you can really react to. No, because I just say that Matt Matt Damon in Interstellar is a a dick. Yeah. He's man. Oh. No, his name literally is his man. man. Yeah. And he, he plays the same right he plays <laughs> the same role as uh, Mark Strong in Sunshine. Yeah. Because I, I wondered that when I watched Interstellar. It's like, well, they've met this man and he's out in the wild. Or oh, he's out in the wild. He's out in the universe. What's he going to do? And again, it's like, oh, I've been out here so long. 
oh, I'm trying to save humanity from itself. That was another predictable fucking yeah. storyline. You're always going to get that, though. Mm. Now, can I just say that, you know, I'd definitely save him in the Martian because he seems to know enough there and I don't want to go to World War Two. So, you know what I mean? I'd much rather go into space but it's and gonna, save it's someone. It's going to take you, like, hundreds then, of days to get in space as well. I'm with there, too. So I'm going to jump on here, too. Dan Killen is fucking horrified of flying. Dan, if you, <laughs> Dan, if you can't handle a two-hour flight to Torre Vieja, you're not going to be able to handle six million miles to fucking space. I handle that flight. I'm, I'm here, aren't I? Dan, kill myself or something? Dan, that was two hours. No, but... You you, you love it, but you're thinking as well though. When you're in space, there's nothing to fall and hit. Dan, the height isn't there, so I don't think I'd be Dan, that scared. See when we see when we talk off. You love that he grew up my arm and that two-hour flight. <gasps> I mean, what's hung over me a little? <laughs> but, no, but no, but Chan, no, but Chan, Dan has proven it. Like space is safer than just general at- atmospheric flight. Dan, anytime he fancy goes to space, like you know, I mean, he just visits all our realms. <laughs> Can I just point out for the listeners that can't see anything as well? That during whole Dom's spiel about his childhood, he was continuously drinking the danger bottle, as as this is right when sharing such a horrifying story. As soon as Dom put down that bottle of sparkling wine, Shan Coyle launched over the table <laughs> and grabbed it back from him. Yeah, that bottle empty, yeah. And isn't even drinking it, he's just holding it. So, so where's, your, where's your sexual <laughs> story? Off, where's your weird sexual story from childhood? Come yeah, that's, that's what the danger bottle is. That's, no, <laughs> you that's you only the get da- the drink when you're telling a you terrible to, personal story. You need story. to tell those weird, dangerous stories that you didn't think affected you as a child, but they actually did. <laughs> Don't I have a weird sexual story? As a kid, is pissing yourself sexual? I suppose. <laughs> Depends, man. It is for some people. I, I, uh, there was a staff room in my primary school. It was right at the very top of of the primary school, and I used to have violin lessons in there. And uh, one 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 time, uh, we were done with my lesson, and the teacher left, so I was just packing away my violin. But I was dying for a piss, and the toilets are outside so I have to get all the way down this building and outside I know I'm not going to make it I piss it's in the corner the of the staff room <laughs> oh, good, good there is good a lad. kitchen there, there is a sink Nobody. but I don't piss in the sink I piss in the the, the, the corner the of the carpeted staff room I've seen a friend of mine take a full on shit in a park once <laughs> like without the t- just take a shit right in front of a tree and I felt a bit strange about that <laughs> Yeah. I, I wouldn't quite say sexual, but I was I was very confused about the whole situation. <laughs> Me and a friend of mine, a friend that you two have both, Dan and Shan, you've both met. Yeah. We used to break into houses while they were still getting built and actually did shits in them. So the builders... <laughs> It's only as the weeks go on that I realise, Dominic, you're not a very nice person, are you? I'm not a very nice person. I'm a feral child. <laughs> I, I have a lovely accent, but I actually am a feral human being. <laughs> you're simply bestial. Uh, last, would you rather would you rather visit Jurassic Park or Jurassic World? What's the difference? <laughs> um, one wasn't open to the public, so less people died. That's Jurassic Park. Also, no cues. <laughs> I would say Jurassic no Park because I would just really like to hang about with Sam Neill seems like a yeah. cool guy but and, then at the same he, time if you hang out with him you're sweet huh? but then Jurassic World you get to meet like Chris Pratt I don't know I can get ready to there's more there's more stuff going on in Jurassic World as well. aye but then there's also more chance of death just hide out in a gyrosphere <laughs> <laughs> no I had to meet Jurassic Park definitely get to hang with the gold bloom like oh, oh yes yeah, awesome with the bloom big time Leopold I, bloom 
Well, we're all hipsters on here. It has to be the original, like Jurassic Park. Bro. Ah, of course. I will have some Jurassic Park. Shall we move on to... Recommendation. We're going to make that happen, are we? Nah, no, we're not making that happen. I'll do it again. Shall we move on to... Should we do it again one more time? Right, we move on the recommendation. Oh, I have Dom does it, it's cool. Leave alone, it's a rough childhood. Okay, who's the first recommendation then? I have one this week. It is a single man. Uh, it's, I know it's it's, it's a favourite of yours as well, Dan, and it just actually popped up uh, recently. I was, I was searching for films uh, on IMDb, and it was a recommended film from the film I was looking at, and I just remember how much I loved that film. 2010, it's Colin Firth. It was the first one that he was nominated for an Oscar for. Do you remember that in 2010 and 2011, there was the head-to-head between Colin Firth and Jeff Bridges? Mm-hmm. The first year, it was Colin Firth for A Single Man, and it was Jeff Bridges for Crazy, Crazy Hurt. Hurt yeah. And then the second year, it was Colin Firth for A King's Speech, and it was Jeff Bridges for True Grit. And they both won one each. Four, all they are, four incredible performances, but I think that A Single Man's near enough the best out of a lot of them. Excellent film, and it's essentially about Colin Firth playing a, uh, a gay man in, I think it's the late 1960s. He finds out through a phone call. He's, he's a, a very prestigious, I think he's a, a university lecturer, haven't watched it now, as I say, in about two years, but he finds out through a very sombre phone call that his lover has died in a car crash. And it's one of the best scenes I've ever seen. Not only because in a strange sort of voice camo appearance, it's John Hamm's voice who tells him the news over the phone that his lover has died. But it is lovely Colin Firth sitting on a sofa. And it's a masterclass acting because he can't move his body. All he can do is move his face and give the most subtle impressions on his face of how devastated he is whilst also trying to hold it on. And that alone makes the film, never mind the rest of his performance and dealing with the fact that his lover has died and dealing with the fact that it's the late 1960s and being gay in general is a very closeted thing and you can't reveal it to normal society. Amazing film, beautifully shot. And the performance itself just carries it but it's a very, very strong story, you know, in its own right. So definitely worth a watch also as well uh, just the costumes in general are amazing because Tom Ford directed yes. it yeah and I mean just everybody looks shut this yeah and he's a home. former fashion designer he is, yeah, yeah. good good Dominic I'm hoping I haven't recommended this before I'm I'm actually sitting in the cursed corner Uh-oh. you might have been able to tell as the podcast has gone on that the curse of the corner has crept, crept up upon me <laughs> um, eagle versus shark Nope, you haven't recommended that. No? Do you know the film? Yes. I love that film. Jermaine? Yeah, I I think it's a... I don't don't know why I love that film. It it makes me laugh a lot. I I think the humour in it is fantastic. I I kind of like the fact that both characters, both main characters, are are very flawed. They're very flawed. They're almost... You you could come across them in in real life. Every single person in the tent every single person maybe listening who would look at these kind of characters if you could relate to them the people that you saw you would sort of think, oh they're dull there's nothing going on in their lives yeah. but they but it's just I don't know it's it's kind of a triumph over I wouldn't say mediocrity or whatever it's just a triumph whatever the odds like these two people are kind of made for each other 
but they're not because they have their flaws like Jermaine's character is obviously a complete dickhead he is a complete dickhead but uh, what's uh, Jesus I can't remember her name now it's irrelevant it doesn't, it doesn't matter but it is it's, it women is, don't matter it's, it's, it doesn't matter it doesn't matter she does it in a little Kiwi accent it's, it's a nice love story which is not supposed to be like a true rom-com like it's not supposed to be perfect now it's it's not so much because you come from a, a bad background if maybe if you just come from a boring background they're these they're they're not very interesting as like their characters are but the it's very interesting to see how the love blossoms between yeah. them and how it how it is so much a roller coaster ride but v- also very funny as well, probably because it's so relatable as well. Mm. As as a if if you're a woman watching that, well, I kind of relate to the female character as well as the male character. And so you should, yeah. you know. I mean, it, it it shouldn't just be a sort of thing that you only relate to a male because you know we're just because we're one fucking species doesn't mean you have to relate to your own gender. That's one, a good thing. One gender, you don't have. Uh, don't worry. Yeah, <laughs> but. Uh, no, but it's it's cracking recommendation. It's a really good film. And Ben, yours? Oh yeah, I don't even know if it's been mentioned before, so it's something it has. But uh, King of Comedy. Nope. I would say it's not. No. Uh yeah. I mean, if you look at like you know Scorsese's pictures, the ones that always get you know brought up, obviously you know, and so they should be you know Rage and Bull and Taxi Driver and Goodfellas. But yeah, King of Comedy is just it's a very very strong, very strong film, and it's got a fantastic performance by De Niro. Amazing. In it. Yeah, I mean, there's just there's so much to love in it, and it does sort of capture uh New York as well in that era and sort of this fascination that you know I think we, we were talking about the Oscars later on right now there seems to be this huge fascination with celebrity and you know Kim Comedy sort of does grab into that and it, it maybe it's like it's infant form where you know uh, this talk show host that you know does a wee bit of stand up it just becomes like this complete fascination of this character Rupert Pupkin uh, great name but yeah uh, there's so much in it as and well it like there's scenes where he goes to practice his stand up routine just in front of a yeah. uh cardboard cutouts of an audience and uh, he, it actually you can't even hear his routine because it's overshadowed by this constant applause that obviously he's hearing that's just not there yeah, at all it's all his head yeah I mean it's fantastic I mean there's loads of great performances as well in the background and just the, the end of the film sort of has this sort of I don't want to give anything away but you know it seems very realistic sort of like a taxi driver type ending where you yeah. know like this sort of fame is bestowed upon someone and then how does life happen afterwards you know like these people that you know obviously taxi drivers are the same where their obsession actually leads to maybe a good thing happening and yeah. being glamorized by the public and the media around them when at the end of the day this sort of obsession is an illness yes. and it's something that's very wrong and you know maybe that's a sort of idea where maybe Scorsese is looking at it saying well yeah as a society do we really want to look at the truth or do we really want the sensationalist yeah. headline and the story and I definitely agree with that and what I really like about King of Comedy as well is that it builds Pupkin up as being an absolute loser who is fame hungry and hasn't got a clue about comedy but I've always loved that the finale of that film is when he actually goes to do a stand up yeah he's not considered as a great stand up enough, but he's actually successful because the way he's built up in his character throughout the film you think that he's going to be a nobody and he's not going to succeed and it just shows yeah. that you know even people who maybe don't have the general gift of the gab or aren't maybe naturally charismatic can't succeed on there maybe in a more kind of cotton candy look at it another thing as well it's a good deconstruction of comedy because the comedian you were talking about who Robert De Niro idolises is Jerry Lewis, Lewis yeah. you know what I mean which which also adds an R layer to it and on top of that me and Dom and yourself were talking about New York in the 1970s and how it was a crime cesspool and I think what's also very interesting they add an R layer onto the king of comedy 
is that it's a representation of New York in the mid-80s during Reaganomics when New York and America in general kind of cleaned up again and it was going into our prosperous sort of period. So yeah. it's interesting because you always associate Scorsese with grimy New York, be it Main Streets, be it Taxi Driver, whereas yeah. it's one of the few times that GXCC sort of clean New York yeah one of my favourite little scenes but then you know obviously that is a facade as well because New York of is course, a jungle yeah. and of you know course. one of my favourite little scenes it shows it and it does like you know go back to the sort of thing of celebrities we love them you know when they do things for us where Jerry Lewis is walking down the street and some woman who's on the phone says oh Jerry I love your show and he says oh thank you very much being very pleasant and she says oh could you talk to my friend on the phone and obviously he's in a rush so he says oh no sorry I have to be somewhere and she turns around and she goes fuck you, I hope you get cancer. Yeah. You know, like that. And it's just like, it could just turn its head. Yep. And, you know, it works on so many levels because, you know, we only like celebrities as much as they're doing what we want. And, yeah. you know, I so it goes back to the Oscars as well, doesn't it? You exactly. Know, as as yeah. much as they're on the moment, they're on the time, but they're so easily disposable. My recommendation is Gone in 60 Seconds. Bam. Because why the fuck not? <laughs> okay, and we'll wrap it up there, folks. Thank you so much for listening. If you like to get in contact with us, suggest your own topics, even weigh in on our some topics. What would you do with with things that we said? Um, <laughs> you can contact us Facebook, Let's Talk More Movies podcast. You can t- you find us on Twitter at Talk More Movies, or you can email us Let's Talk More Movies at gmail dot com. You can also. Uh, comment, like us, rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, even on Acast, where you can get interactive show notes and links. Best place to listen to this. Thank you so much for listening. I have been your host, Michael Breslin. Shaq Hall has been Shaq Hall. Dominic Phelan has been Dominic Phelan. Thank you very much. DK has been DK. Episode 25, baby. Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye. Never consult to touch your hands with another dog unless you want to get fingered. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen my dad in 20 months. <laughs> the truth. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 